Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
USCHO.com. This is the USCHO Spotlight, a weekly podcast from U.S. College Hockey Online at USCHO.com, featuring conversations with college hockey coaches and players and journalists who cover the sport. Good afternoon. We're live from West End Johnny's in Boston, live from the Frozen Four here on USCHO Spotlight. I'm Ed Trefsker alongside Derek Schooley and Jim Connolly. We've got a great lineup of guests this afternoon, and this podcast is sponsored by DCU Digital Federal Credit Union. What will DCU mean to you? Find out today by visiting dcu.org, membership required. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today, so day why don't four. we jump in? Day, day four. four. How about How that? How exciting you is this? Hey, we get to crown a champion tonight. Yeah, too. that's, that's right. the best part. Day I mean, four. This is what it's about. Wall-to-wall guests. Ready to go here. Let's do it. And uh, Jim, I made it. I made it this far. You did make it this far. <laughs> yeah, I survived with my back. I can barely walk, but I'm hobbling the streets there of Boston. There you go. <laughs> well, let's bring in our first guest. We're not even going to, you know, do a, an intro segment today. We'll just bring in one of the legends of the game of hockey. He has been with USA Hockey for God decades now. It feels, <laughs> <laughs> but the head of communications uh, for USA Hockey runs the men's and women's Olympic team. Uh, Dave Fisher, he also is the head of the communications here as one of the great volunteers of the Frozen Fords. It's always good to see you, Fish. Uh, welcome back. Yeah, thanks. Good to see you guys and uh, smiling. It's great to be in Boston again, isn't it? And see sellout crowds and all the energy and smiles and everything else going on. And It's great to just be sitting here with the Red Baron, too, down at the end of the table. <laughs> You'll get to hear from him in a little bit. Not, not, uh, you're, not, ruin, you're ruining the surprise oh. here. <laughs> oh, Jim, Jimmy already threw out the word legendary, and now we're, <laughs> we got Hall of Famer next. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, Fish, it's been an interesting year. I'm going to go right to USA Hockey. You know, you start the year, you know the Olympics are coming, but you think you're going to have some NHL players. That ends up not happening, and you end up with a bunch of college kids going on a huge stage at the Olympics, and I'll tell you, comporting themselves very well. Yeah, it, it was an interesting journey, to say the least, and uh, we were just hearkening back over it, going through the calendar, and, you know, we all thought NHL players were going to be in, and, you know, they had the out if there was business interruption, which uh, on, I think, December 8th, the NHL Board of Governors met and said, yeah, all's good, and in, and on December 22nd, they pulled the plug five weeks, four weeks before we had to send the group to L.A., but... Wound up with 15 college kids, current college kids, and uh, on the roster. It was fun. Obviously, some good players. We've seen some of them here at the Frozen Four and throughout the year, and people wanted to harken back to Miracle on Ice a little bit, which <laughs> which is always a good thing. We want to get past that on the Olympic front and, and uh, have a new gold medalist so we can get rid of, not get rid of them, but <laughs> turn the page a little bit. So, uh, But it was good overall. And a, and a great women's tournament again as well. And, you know, that has really become a staple event at the Olympics for American viewers, Canadian viewers, obviously, as well. But you get the, the same two teams that you've had many times, and, and they are great rivals in the world of, of Olympic hockey, U.S. and Canada. And Canada came out on top, but still, what a run for that American team. Well, yeah, and it's nip and tuck always. You know, you you, you guys know. You've seen them. It's one, one two-goal games up and down. Uh, no matter when we play, for what it is, I mean, and our and our pl- our current group of players, I mean, obviously uh, the Olympics is the most visible thing there is, but I, you know, we still have won uh, what is it, seven of the last ten World Championships or eight of the last ten, so pretty remarkable run, and uh, also great our Paralympic team too and our sled team, fun that they won the gold medal and and what a great performance. I don't know if anybody got to see the the sled hockey. 
But it's I, incredible, I saw, those part, athletes. I saw parts on, on national television, which was nice to see that on the national networks over here in the United States. Schools, you ever been on a sled? No, I haven't. Yeah. You know what? My question to you is, you do this every year. Yeah. You run the, you run the podium so well. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, what's your favorite part of this? Because you know what? Now that I'm a part of the media... Yeah. I could be gunning for your job soon. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And, and I, 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 but I don't want your pay. I want, I want a little bit more than zero. Oh, wait, that's what I get now, too. So what, what's your favorite part of doing the, the Frozen Four? That's the people. I don't think there's any question. Um, obviously, the excitement of college hockey this time of the year, the championship, it's great. And uh, getting to hang out with all you guys and, and the rest of the media contingent. And, you know, you know, you know all the players and coaches, relatively, uh, most of them. So... It's just a great celebration of the sport. It's been fun to see it evolve over the course of the last 30-plus years to where we're at today. Uh, pretty neat. I, we, were, we were hearkening back uh, today's, uh, oh, I don't know, was it St. Paul? When we used to present the Hobie Baker Award after the national championship game in a back room with, like, two media at 1.30 in the morning. And uh, now, I mean, we've had Friday night at the Frozen Four for a, quite a long time now. But it's come a long way, and uh, it'll be fun next year to get back uh, to Tampa. Dave, when you're moderating a press conference, especially, say, something like a Friday press conference when they've had uh, practices, do you ever pick up on a sense of how a team's emotions or psyche are doing and maybe think to yourself, not asking you for an opinion, but think to yourself, wow, this team is really ready. This team looks uh, a little little tight or maybe not right there. Do you, have you seen that? Do you, do you sense that? That's an interesting question, Ed. I, I think probably there have been some times, and I won't get into specifics, where I've thought, wow, a little uptight here, and, you know, whoever the head coach is, and kind of they set the tone. Were you at Minnesota around the press conference <laughs> when I played? Are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm, I go, wow. And everything, you know, all different styles work, as we know. But uh, I've, you've sensed it. And I think coaches, you know, again, it's like the players. When you've been through it once, maybe you change a little bit the second time or the third time because you go, oh. I, I think Mike, Mike Hastings has alluded to it here uh, and how he's adapted from last year. Coaching that uh, old grizzled team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was uh, that was a fun moment uh, in the uh, Minnesota press conference when Bob Motzko referred to Minnesota State as old and grizzled. grizzled. Yeah. You love those little moments. I, like yesterday, there was a great moment when uh, Mike Hastings was talking about recruiting and how you've got to sell the moms. I mean, that <laughs> yeah. was that was fun. You get those little moments. Well, we we try and keep it fun. I mean, we everybody takes what they do seriously. Certainly, but, you know, and that's one great thing about the hockey community. It's a fun, loving uh, group, and people get along largely. And, you know, you, uh, it's a serious time for everybody because they want to win a national championship. But it is hockey. It's a sport. We're not curing cancer. So, I mean, we can't take ourselves too seriously, I don't think. Uh, it's, you know what? This is, this is, like you said, it's about the people. I mean, we're here 3 o'clock. The, the place doesn't even open till 4. We got yeah. people showing up with uh, trying to get free hats. I, w- I would have been here at 3.30. But, uh, <laughs> and then, then, you, got, then you, got the, you got the Michigan fan guy comes in. He's, yeah. he's just here to see Red Barons, and he yeah. gets, gets some stuff signed. And, and it, it just you can see the passion of the people, and that's the fun part of college hockey. And I, I don't want to ever lose that. I think that's what we, we have in, in this game, and we have this between – fans we got a du jersey here we got a uh michigan state jersey here we'll have a robert morris jersey when the other guy puts it on we i mean you got we got a lot of stuff and that's the that's what's what 
college hockey and the Frozen Four is about. Do we have a jersey? Has anybody got a jersey count yet? We usually try and oh, see you know, what we I, get to, what number we get to. I, I, I know it's been done a lot before, and somebody asked, somebody tweeted at me and, and tagged me and said, oh, you got to get that jersey. I, I, I can't even get into the stands right now because of the way the press box is set up. So, it's, you know, it's kind of one of those I'd love to see and try to count them all. I, 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 I guarantee if you can find Mike Idlebus, he probably has a count somewhere because he seems to be one of the, the faithful that is pretty good at getting that count. And I always love when you see not only all the D1 jerseys, but uh, a lot of D3 schools. Yeah. I saw there. Northern Arizona the other day. Uh, defunct schools, too. <laughs> <laughs> Any UICs? <laughs> I saw a couple years ago a Western Michigan Derek Schooley jersey. Wow. Wow. I had to take a picture oh of my it because nobody believed it. <laughs> that, that was somebody with some cash to be able to get that on eBay. No, it was fake. It was a made-up one. It was, like, brand new. <laughs> there, there was a lot. There would have been a lot of puck marks from block shots and stuff on there if that was true, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't the real one. Hey, Fish, when we look at uh, American hockey right now, it's feels like it is yeah. almost at its you know crowning achievement I, I know that there's been so many great moments on the international stage but you just look at the number of college players that are going on and playing in the nhl you look at the nhl right now you know we don't forget that that was a canadian league for, it felt like it for That's so right. long yeah. and now you look at it it's almost a balance between american canadian players what, how, what do you look at as the state of U.S. hockey at the moment? Well, I think we feel pretty good coming out of the pandemic. Obviously, everybody had interruption, and kids, you know, weren't able to play. And that affects, you know, the oomph of the sport to a degree. But I think we're just about back to our pre-pandemic numbers in terms of kids playing the game, which it's, a, you know, probably two or three years ahead of what we thought it would be. You never know. So I think that's a good good sign. We have, the coaching is as good as it has ever been in this country in helping kids develop, and we're so blessed with the grassroots volunteers all the way across the country, which, you know, I think people just take for granted. We certainly don't, but uh, the moms and dads that are helping make youth hockey associations run, and it's just fun to see it expand. I mean, we all know. I mean, hockey was not in all 50 states like it is today when we when we got going in this, and it's only continuing to grow i don't think i i don't think it's going to uh stop growing in our lifetime that's for sure what's your favorite frozen four? Ooh, come on, <laughs> on well, my, it's my, like it's like naming your favorite kid my favorite <laughs> my my favorite national championship game was uh in st paul the eight seven triple overtime game that northern beat bu and uh, I, uh, that had more drama than I mean, there's been other great games. Um, Both teams had three goal leads in that game, if I remember. That's right. right. <laughs> and there were oh, it was wild open nets and breakaways and wild swings and it, it was it was just a fun college hockey game. So that's my probably what my year was favorite. Eighty nine? No, no, ninety one. Ninety one. Yeah, I was 91. a freshman. Yeah. And the old clear. I think do we still have the clear boards in St. Paul in ninety one? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> remember that? Yes. And Mark Buffet, I think, did he have the game winner? Mark Buffet. Nice. Yeah, I played. I played with Mark growing up. Did yeah. you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Who ha- who missed the empty net? Hit the crossbar in overtime oh, for Boston God. University. I, I can't remember. Yeah. I know. Yes. But that Good was memory. the Ama- that was the Amani team. Yeah, it was Amani Kachuk. Good yeah. memory. Yeah. What was what's been your favorite schools? I've I counted the other day. What what I come up with? Thirteen. Came up with thirteen. You had been to. You know, yeah. with with being the host, and, and yeah. I think one. I think my favorite was uh, obviously I got to say the two Pittsburgh ones. I was really proud of the job we did last yeah, year with the sure. uh, oh my through the pandemic, and but being a part of the committee and going to them. This is my first one in Boston. I was I was impressed the other day. I was surprised by that. By I, the way, I think uh, I would go to Tampa. And say Tampa, yeah. the first one in Tampa, not the second one, just because we were, I think as as being a future host, everybody was looking at how 
if if we were really going to have a if it was going to be an exciting one. And then the crowds turned out, and you had the, the great. Everybody uh, wondered the, the, if that the, was going to be the biggest failure yep. in Frozen Four because history. they they kept comparing it to Anaheim. Yep. And oh, then yeah. you had you had the uh, you had the great weather. You had the every team had a bar in that that area there. Um, then you had the Frozen Fest outside the building. The hotels were right there. You could you could lay out all day and then go to the hockey games. I mean, it was. I think Tampa, the first Tampa, because it, it exceeded expectations so I much. Am, I miss both of the Tampas. I'm looking forward to next year. Hopefully nothing getting in the way. And that, by the way, that first Tampa was the warmest national championship game on record. Not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> this Today is our 20th warmest, in case you're wondering. We actually have a list of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's something else people miss out on in between getting teams up there for uh, for for their post game press conferences, Fish is there to give us all kinds of uh, interesting information and or useless. Well, you know what? <laughs> a lot of it ends up. People are furiously writing it down to stick in their game notebook. You know uh, how many? Uh, you know what number uh, Frozen yeah. Four is this played in a garden? You know, yes. I'm sure you're going to have that for us. We'll have that today for sure. <laughs> what about where was your favorite Frozen? You guys have been to a lot of them. Jimmy's on like 30, isn't he? Uh, this is 24 for me, 21 in a row. The, the longest active streak among all media members. I think so. You took uh, no. You were you I, were throwing that sure. out at the bar last night. <laughs> Todd, Todd Todd Molesky's right there. I think we're the same. D- don't give me uh, the. I think so now. And Jess Myers would have been, but he missed one. Jess Jess has more than me, but he he missed one. But I think my favorite still probably is DC. That's That's a, that was a I really good too. one. You missed yeah. that one too? <laughs> I missed oh. Chicago, D.C., and the two Tampas. The that was a really good the one The great too. games and just a city, yeah. you know, a downtown arena, very similar to what we have here in Boston. Like, it's not somewhere in the outskirts. It literally is in the middle of a lot of just – it's right in the middle of downtown D.C. I, I was shocked when I saw where the, the venue was. Um, I, I just enjoyed it, you know, and – then you throw in the games and, and, and the know, history the, and the, the politics. Greatest, and the greatest uh, comeback, you know, probably oh, yeah. in a late league game comeback. Two goals in the last minute by Boston University. They win it in overtime. Colby Cohen, who's here tonight, he had the game-winning goal. Um, it, it was it, that was crazy. Uh, that was that was one that was easy to enjoy. And I I'm surprised it hasn't come back on the list. You know, I know that it takes a city to bid and it takes yeah. a venue and it takes somebody to partner with that venue and all that sort of stuff. But that's one that. To me, kind of surprises me that it hasn't popped back. You got to, you got to bid. They I know it's, bid. The, it's the whole bid. They haven't bid. They since. haven't bid. Everybody says, "Let's go to Nashville." Well, Nashville has to bid. Yeah, you and have. They to. haven't bid, and that's you know one of those those things that you know people shake their head about, but you know not everybody understands the process too. I'm trying to do the math today or this year is 20 for me, and it's been uh, 13 in a row, I think. I've got a few that are on the list. The first one I went to was as a fan, 98, when Michigan won here. Great overtime yeah. win for the Wolverines was great. I love. I wasn't excited about the venue, but I love 2007 when Michigan State won. That was my favorite all-time post. Is that Milwaukee? Uh, St. Louis. St. Louis. Louis. Milwaukee oh, yeah. the year before yeah. was great. It's great hit, to see the, the home team the end win. Of the game. Yeah, you get to see uh, Wisconsin win there uh, a few years earlier, seeing uh, the Gophers win. Uh, in St. Paul was great. Uh, totally as a homer, I didn't like Homer, right? <laughs> yeah, you are. He's the biggest He's a homer. homer. Yeah. Now, totally RIT as a mark. homer, I, I was, uh, it, to me, it wasn't a great Frozen Four. It was a unique experience, but being able to broadcast at the Frozen Four for RIT in 2010 has got to be up there for me, too. Yeah. That was an interesting one. I'll, I'll go there. I was at that one, too. That was an interesting one. There were, there were, there were parts about 2010 I loved. The, you know, Ford Field, yeah. Ford Field had such a unique 
feel to it. It was I, worth I, trying. I get I it that it didn't work. Everybody thought it would be like basketball, and we'd have seventy-five thousand people in there, and you know, still got thirty-four. Thirty-four. Or yeah. So I mean, that's a pretty significant and, number. And what know? a disappointment it was to have to cancel Detroit in twenty twenty because oh, I know. that area around there, people have a bad attitude about Detroit, but that was going to be terrific, and I hope they are able to bid again and, and get. Uh, unbelievable toy. facility, the, the Little, little Caesars, Caesars Arena. Oh, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's tough to get with the two pro teams always. That's, but we'll be back there. Those 2010 games, were that was about the worst is a bad uh, way to put it, but the games were not very competitive. No, they weren't. I mean, <laughs> that's one that jumps off the page going, wow, these games are so lopsided. Yeah. We yeah. don't have that very often, though. No. What's, what's, uh, what's on the docket, docket for USA Hockey? What's the, the next big thing? I know we have some great initiatives out there, diversity, uh, some just grassroots efforts, you know, learn to play and all of that. My own kid got to take part in the NHL's learn to play program, loved it. And yeah. Now she's a nine-year-old that goes out there and skates every day, you know. Oh, awesome. But what do you, what do you see in terms of, of growing growing and just major initiatives going forward? Well, I mean, one of the fun things we have uh, going on right now, and uh, what, what day are we on? Saturday? Saturday. Yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Our uh, first of two weekends of a disabled festival. Uh, we have six disciplines of disabled hockey. Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's in Pittsburgh. It's so cool to watch. Uh, blind blind hockey is our, our newest addition to that disabled uh, realm, and it's just absolutely wild to watch it. And I just smile and think, great that we're giving you know, people from all walks. And I, I think that's a big part of what what we're up to in the future. Obviously, we want to share the game with as broad and diverse of audience as we can. And uh, we're working hard with the National Hockey League, um, with, with the whole hockey community, our, our junior leagues, obviously college hockey, to come up with ways. I think we all want the same thing, our game to continue to grow and to continue to be uh, – just again, welcome more people, and I don't. I think people are are certainly care. We always want to welcome everybody, but be more intentional about some of the efforts to kind of expand the field. Well, fish, it's always great to see you at a Frozen Four. Uh, we good we, to we, see you we guys. Try too. to oh avoid as many USA world hosted world championships at the same time, so we don't have you missing Frozen Tampa. Fours like Tampa. You got to have you. You, you got to have one. You You've can't be go get for to three. Tampa next year. I, I have nothing in the way, and I don't think I will. How about that? We were in Boston last in 2015. Correct. And we follow with Tampa. Same thing this same time. Thing. I mean, I don't know. Schools? Did you select that? I don't know. You might have been on the committee. Might have been on that committee back then. Might have picked some really good (laughs) travel destinations for everybody to go to. Well, St. Louis, St. Paul, and then, of course, I think everybody's looking forward to Las Vegas, too, right? Yes. Huh. Crazy like that, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, thanks for all you guys do. Appreciate it. And Uh, same to you, Fish. You know, and thanks for being part of the Frozen Four weekend every year. You make it a a great experience for the media, and we appreciate all you do. Right back at you guys, and. Get ready for some great storytelling coming up next. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, it'll be fun. Hey, you had to, you had to go first. You don't want to follow him. That's no, for sure. yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Well, uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll come back with the legendary Red Berenson in just a few moments. You're listening to USCHO Spotlight live from Boston, brought to you by DCU Digital Federal Credit Union. Visit dcu.org. This is the USCHO Spotlight. People buy houses every day. No big deal to the bank, but buying my first home? That was a big deal to me. That's why I got my mortgage from DCU. They were with me every step of the way. I was able to get a great rate, and they'll service my loan for as long as I have it. Plus, they let me manage my mortgage online, anytime. 
My mortgage from DCU was the first step, and now I'm home. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA, NMLS number 466914. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Visit dcu.org. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Johnny Gaudreau. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Shane Gossespierre were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! To some, the sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much. But that's not true. They're testing out vowels and consonants and trying different sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on meaning. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba. Please be done. Over and over and over and over and over. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Welcome back to USCHO Spotlight, live from West End Johnny's in Boston, just a couple blocks away from TD Garden, where tonight Minnesota State and Denver will face off for the national championship. I'm Ed Trefsker alongside Derek Schooley and Jim Connolly. And Jim, why don't you do the honors? Well, I, I, I use legendary for, for Dave Fisher, so I'll just go right to Hall of Famer. <laughs> and one of the greatest coaches that ever coached the college game, Red Berenson. Uh, now working at the Big Ten office. It's great to see you. Welcome back to Boston. Well, we enjoyed coming to Boston. And, and by the way, Dave Fisher that you just had on, he's he's one of the easiest people to get along with in college hockey and U.S. amateur hockey. He's been around for a long time. He's been terrific. So it was nice to see him here today, obviously. But 98, uh, Michigan came out here to play in the Fleet Center when it was a new building. And uh, and we played in that championship game against Boston College. You remember that? And Jerry York had a great team. They had a better team than we had, but we ended up sneaking it out in overtime. And uh, and I'll never forget that because I, I said after the game, and this can happen in college uh, sports and especially in a one-game shootout, that the best team doesn't always win. And uh, that's what happened that night. Boston College was the better team, but... Michigan won the game, and the next year, 97, we were the best team, and we got knocked off by BU, and I said it again. I said, the best team doesn't <laughs> always win. So it, uh, that's what you get this time of year in these games, but they're exciting games. You saw your, your, your Michigan team here the other night. They lost a tough one in overtime. That's a very talented team that Mel had this year. Uh, it, it, that just shows some of the great players that have taken the college route, though, in recent years to stack a team with seven first-round draft picks and 12 overall NHL draft picks. That, that's a pretty special team that Mel yeah, had. It really is. And, and you know, the uh, I think the trend uh, 
started a long time ago, and, and I was fortunate to be one of the first ones to break into the NHL coming out of Michigan, and out, of pro, out, of, out of college hockey. And there was one American in the league then in 1962. There was one European that was Ulf Sterner. The American was Tommy Williams. And, uh, and there was one college player, and that was Red Hay. He was from my hometown in Saskatchewan, Canada. And uh, so you had a, a whole different world. And so heart, no American, literally one American and, and one college player. And now look at it. You've got a, at least a third of the NHL are college players. And this year might have been the best college-represented draft, obviously, with four of the top five players in the first round going coming from uh, University of Michigan. So they did have a special team. Uh, I know they're saddened and somewhat shocked that they didn't do better here, but... The competition's good, and it doesn't matter where you were drafted this time of year. Uh, you better be the better team, and if you don't, then you're, gonna, you're not going to get the result you wanted. So, obviously, we talked before. I grew up in St. Louis, watched you play, watched you coach, got to play against you as a player, got to coach against you as a coach. So I don't, I don't know if there's a there's a, a, anybody else that could, could say that, but Going through your years in St. Louis, my favorite year was obviously the 1981 that we talked about in the playoffs. You scored six goals in a game. Tell us about that because I don't, it, I don't see it ever happening again. Tell. Well, it was, uh, it was in November of 1968, and uh, the expansion happened, I think, in 66, 67. And uh, they went from six to 12 teams, and I ended up uh, in St. Louis. And St. Louis wasn't my choice and it wasn't a a team I would have chosen but it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me in pro hockey and uh and we got going there and and the team while we had a great coach in Scotty Bowman and in fact we had a couple of players older than Scotty was and and players like Al Arbor and Jacques Plante and Glenn Hall as two of the greatest goalies ever played and uh and then an assortment of players from the Boston system, we had Terry Crisp and uh, players from Montreal. We had Jimmy Roberts and myself and, and Jean-Guy Talbot and so on. But anyway, they put together a team of players that just seemed to mesh. You know, you had that chemistry. And and then in uh, Philadelphia, I guess my second year in St. Louis, we had a and we had a pretty good rivalry going with Philadelphia. And uh, we went in there, and it was just one of those nights where the puck went in for me. The thing I look back and I listen to the tape, Dan Kelly described the goals, and uh, there's no video of it. So in those days, they televised a game, and then they scrapped the video and erased, <laughs> er, erased it and used it for something else. So anyway, Dan Kelly's description of the goals were all old-time hockey-type goals. Uh, you know, Picard breaks the puck out of, the own, up, out of his own, gives it to Talbot. Talbot over to McCurry. McCurry up to Barron. He scores. And it was, I was the beneficiary of all this uh, teamwork and good passing and good rushing. And Doug Favell was the goalie. I felt bad for him because I wasn't, you know, that kind of a scorer. But uh, for years after, he would say, people would say, well, who's the best forward you're, you know, against that you played against and so on. And he said, well, there's no question it was Red Berenson, but it wasn't me. I mean, he, <laughs> he played against a lot of better players than me, but I had my night against Doug Favell. So it was a memorable night, and uh, I took it for granted, and the players kidded me about it, and, and we had a good time with it. And then the Blues, 
The management of the Blues, the Solomons, were terrific. And they had a, a night for me while I was playing, only a few weeks later. And they gave me, the, the players chipped in and bought me a shotgun. They knew I was a hunter. <laughs> and uh, the team got me a new Chevrolet uh, station wagon. We had four kids, and uh, and they knew I needed a, a new car. I had an old wreck, <laughs> and we weren't making a lot of money. But anyway, when they gave me that car, I nearly died. I couldn't believe it. But it was just one of those things. It was a different time, and uh, we appreciated everything we got in St. Louis. And I was, I was one of the b- biggest benefactors, I think, of being there. So you transitioned to coach, right from playing. You get traded to, D- to Detroit, then go back to the Blues, then you become their coach. Right out of playing, correct? Yep. And then after you're done there, you, 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 you're around a little bit Buffalo, I think you went to, if I remember correctly. And yep. I was there for a few years in St. Louis. We had a good we had a good run, Good, a lot of young, really good uh, Federico and Sutter. Federico, Sutter, Babbage, Babbage yep. uh, uh, Turnbull, and, uh, and, and a good group. And so and Emil Francis was the GM, and he'd been my coach in New York. And he was the one that traded me to St. Louis, and so... It was kind of a mixed blessing, but I realized it was a great uh, move for me. But nevertheless, I had all those young guys. We had a good run, and we had Mike Liut in goal, and Liut was terrific. Bowling Green grad. And Bowling Green grad, absolutely. And, uh, and so we, we had a good time there, and then I got fired, and that happens in coaching. You're coach of the year one year in the NHL, and the next year... You, you're out of work. I was coach of the year last year in Atlanta Cocky, and then they dropped my program. So I beat you. <laughs> there you go. Well, some things never change. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no doubt. So then you end up in Michigan. Talk, talk us how you how you get to, to Michigan. Obviously, well, an alum. Yeah. When when I left uh, when I left St. Louis, and now Scotty Bowman was the GM and coach of Buffalo Sabers, and they had a uh, you know they had a, an opportunity for me there, and they called me and. And so I decided to go to Buffalo. So we went to Buffalo, and they had they had six first-round picks in the first two years I was there. I was only there for two years. But players like Bar- Tom Barrasso and uh, Phil Housley and Dave Andrichuk and, and and really a good group of, uh, of young players. So we had some fun there. And But when Michigan came calling, I just thought, even though I was going to make about half as much money, and I said, you know, I went to the business school at Michigan. I don't know if this is the right decision to make when you put the numbers to it. But it was the right, you know, I'd had such a great experience at Michigan as a player. And I thought, you know, if I can help other kids have that same experience, it'll be worth it. So I came back. And, of course, I thought all we needed was a new coach. We needed a new culture. I mean, you know how it is. You get to a team and, and the players don't, they're not aligned with your academic inspiration for them or their or the skill level, or this, or that, and so on. But in a few years, we got it going, and and then I didn't know how long I'd be there, and I pretty much stayed there till I was 77, and and counting. And now I'm uh, still affiliated with Michigan, but Mel Pearson's doing a great job with the program. You had the glory years run four straight Frozen Fours. I was fortunate to have Matt Hur as a as a friend, and he helped us as a volunteer one year. Yeah. But that. I think that's almost unprecedented now. Talk about those years and the guys that you had there. I mean, the hockey players that you had were ended up being really good pros. Well, they, they did, and they were. And they were, it, you know, I can't tell you it was by design, but we, we went after the best players that we thought would do well at Michigan and academically and on the ice. And uh, we had Marty Turco in goal, if you remember, and, 
Steve Shields had just graduated, and he had set a record for most wins ever by a Division One goalie. And uh, when I recruited Turco, and I told him that, I said, you know, we're not expecting you to, you know, be able to. And his dad said, no, no, don't worry about that. Marty will break that record. And uh, sure enough, he did. I think we had four 30-some win uh, seasons all put together. But players like Brendan Morrison, John Madden, Jason Botterill, uh, Mike Lake was the guy that scored that Michigan goal that they still still called n- the Michigan to this day <laughs> duplicating it now but uh, that was in 96 when he scored that goal and we had some great character people and uh, it was just one of those stretches where we had to lose and lose not bad but lose with a broken heart you know in those three overtime games we played against Maine out in Providence and I'll never forget the goal and how it was scored and it just Billy McCall was a player then, and Matt Hur was on that team, and they just had their hearts broken. They were, and Mike Knubel was his last year. It was in '95, and then '96, uh, our team had learned how to, what it was like losing, and we weren't playing to win. We were playing make or make sure we're not going to lose this game, and it was a business trip to Cincinnati, and those guys carried the mail, and we played against a really good Colorado College team, and. All these games end up in overtime, and it was an overtime game. Brendan Morrison scored the winner, and uh, and then the next year, '97, we were the best team, and uh, and we were in the Frozen Four, but we got knocked off by BU. So it's so competitive every year, and and that's what we're seeing this weekend. You saw four great teams, and there's only two left, but they're the teams that played the best, and uh, so that's what I say. It may not be the best team that wins, but the team that plays the best. Right. Does sometimes it take that experience at the national level? I, I know we heard Greg Carvel say it last year that they won a national championship because they lost in 2019. Yep. And we've heard uh, Mike Hastings reference it that they learned a lot from losing last year. Do you have to sometimes lose at the biggest level to have success and learn from it? I think you do. I mean, really, uh, even, even as a coach, uh, you know, you do everything you can to prepare, but there's nothing like the NCAA a tournament and when you get in that tournament it's amazing how every player and every team seems to come up a big notch and uh, and if you're not ready for it you're going to lose and then you're going to say why did how come we lost well we lost because we didn't either train hard enough we didn't prepare hard enough or well enough we were distracted by this or that whether it's draft picks or scouts or whoever's in the stands trying to get your time and your attention and pretty soon you have to treat it like a business trip and you have to show up with your a-game like i saw michigan play a lot this year and uh, when they were good they were just about unbeatable because they've got a goalie too in portillo who's been terrific but uh, they could score and make plays and so on and so forth but when they weren't as good then that's what you saw the other night they got outshot two to one and uh, and Denver were the, was the better team. Right over the last couple of seasons, you've been involved as a special advisor for hockey for the Big Ten. What kind of things do you do to help out the conference? Well, uh, Kevin Warren took over as the new commissioner of the Big Ten, and uh, and he played basketball in Arizona State. But when he was working for the Detroit Lions, he sent his son over to our hockey school, and a young son, uh, Power, and uh, and of course he. Then he moved on to Minnesota, but I met Kevin then, and he remembered that. And so Power went on to be a, a college football player. He got too big for hockey, but uh, <laughs> terrific uh, family. 
And but Kevin never forgot that. So when he got the, the Big Ten job, and he heard about the conference not doing that well and hockey-wise, so he called me right away and said, "We have to have a meeting." So what are we doing to make it better? Well, first of all, we have the Big Ten Network, which is a powerful network for Big Ten sports. And, uh, and they weren't happy with the ratings that we were getting. They weren't happy with the game times, too many long three-hour games and so on. So we proposed that, and this wasn't necessarily popular right off the get-go, I proposed we go to a 12-minute intermission. We only have one TV timeout per period at the half, halfway point. We have hurry-up face-offs, and we get the linesmen and referees try and minimize the replays and the delays in the game. And now we're down to about a two-hour and maybe a minute or two, or depending on the game, uh, window. And they love it. So what has happened to the game? The players like it because they're all playing. Derek, you can appreciate that. There's no stopping every three or four minutes for a commercial that the people in the rink didn't pay to have the game stop on right. their behalf. And uh, so I'm a big proponent of keeping the game going and the momentum and the passion and get the fans involved in the environment and everything else. It's been a win. It's been a home run for the Big Ten Hockey Conference. So that's, that's the first thing we did. And now it's just a matter of I can see there might be some expansion in the future with other Big Ten schools. We do have an affiliate member, Notre Dame, and they've been a good fit for the Big Ten. So uh, I really like where we are, and it's been a it's kind of a passion of mine anyway, so college hockey. Would you see more affiliates? Would you see the, the – I know it wasn't a big thing in the Big Ten to have affiliate members in any sport, but you put Notre Dame in. I think John Ho- Johns Hopkins right. came in lacrosse. Do, do you see that as a possible road for expansion? Yep. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, there may not, may or may not be a current Big Ten school that is going to uh, finance a, a Division One hockey program for men and women. Well, Illinois has been the, the Illinois was, time discussion. Was right? ready to pull the trigger, and uh, and COVID hit, and it was just the bad, talk about bad timing. So we'll see where it goes, but I I think there's a real good future for Big Ten hockey conference. And I really like the way the conference operates, and uh, I, I think it's just a matter of time when they find the right fit. Well, it certainly is a, a big win for college hockey, having a major conference uh, at a seat at the table, and I think the Big Ten has done a great job in red. Uh, thanks so much for coming by, just sharing some good stories. We love great stories, and we love talking college hockey, so we appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. I think we're going to have a fantastic national title game. Should be a great game, and both teams look really good. I'd hate to pick one over the other, but uh, it was interesting this year, you know, with four Western teams showing up in the final four. You never know who's going to be here. So it's, it's not predictable, but I appreciate you guys having me on and, and look forward to I'll have to find out now at my age. I'm not really good at social media yet, but... Uh, I'll be looking you up and trying to listen to you as much as I can. So. See, I, I, lar- I bring this up, like, I brought this up with Minnesota State numerous times. I, and you brought it up with, with your teams in 94 and in that era. I think this is their time because of what they went through last year and the year before. Yep. I think they, have to, they had to lose to win. Yeah, yep. I, I agree. I mean, it's too bad that's the major motivation because we have great coaches and we have great assistant coaches and strength coaches and and trainers and everything they've got the just about like an nhl operation in these schools but it still takes something that gets your attention big time and uh and you're right uh, derek you're you, you could see a team 
just be fueled by that losing, how bad it was. It's, you know, I've always said Michigan's a team that plays to win, and other teams maybe play their strategy on the ice is not to not lose. To lose yeah. And they make it tough on you. Like Michigan State used to be really good defensively, and, and they could beat an offensive team. But uh, these teams have suffered. They've suffered emotionally, and they won't forget about that. And you'll, they'll be back tonight. So that's, it could be a big advantage for Minnesota State. Well, thank you, Red, for joining us. And we're going to take a break now and come back with more of USCHO Spotlight here live from Boston. This is the USCHO Spotlight. Sometimes it's not about wanting a new car, it's about needing one. And I needed one I could rely on. So I got an auto loan with DCU. They offer the same low rates on both new and used cars. And I was able to borrow a little extra to make a used car as good as new. My auto loan from DCU means a ride I can finally rely on, which feels like a pretty big thing. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA. Membership required. Visit dcu.org. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Nick Bukestad. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! David Backus. And Zach Parisi were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Know how people say life happens? Well, for me, life was happening, and I needed a new truck. I didn't have time to shop around for a good loan, so I got one from the dealer, higher interest and all. Month after month, those payments were squeezing me. So I went to DCU. They refinanced my loan and helped lower my rate, which lowered my payments. These days, I have more money in my pocket for whatever life throws at me. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA. Membership required. Visit dcu.org. We're back on USCHO Spotlight, live from West End Johnny's in Boston, and brought to you by DCU Digital Federal Credit Union. Visit dcu.org. We're going to bring in our next guest now, and uh, the recipient of the 2022 Hockey Humanitarian Award presented last night over at the Encore Casino, given to college hockey's top citizen, and that's Josh Kozak from Union College. Hey, congratulations, Josh. Yeah, what thank a, you. Thank you. We, Thanks I for having me. I know we had a chance to talk. Both Ed and I have both talked to you at separate times for, for different stories this year, but what, a, what a, a fantastic collegiate career you've had on the ice, certainly, but obviously off the ice, what you were able to do in the community of Schenectady. Yeah, no, it's been a you know, very special um, I'm just very fortunate the uh, the Coco House and Will Revis 
accept accepted me and their family there and uh you know it's been a very special journey and you know it's a nice uh, cherry on top for uh for this weekend T- tell us how it all started because you, you've you've obviously told ed and i the story but it, it, you're at thompson arena one night waiting to come out of the tunnel up at dartmouth college and you run into a, a young kid and that was really what started everything yeah just was the first guy out um you know before warm-ups giving the guys knuckles or whatever they before they go on the ice and i saw this kid sitting there threw him a puck chatted with him uh, between periods whatever and um you know just kind of thought that was it and then heard he reached out to president harris at, our, at union and um she uh, his mom mentioned there'd be union fans for life and like the impact it had on her son and that just really inspired me to to do more and um you know how small of a, a gesture it can go such a long way and you never know what somebody else is going through and um you know you never know whose life you might impact so um the entire journey was just I mean, it's incredible, and I'm just excited to see uh, our next steps and see where this goes after this. When you got things going back at home in Schenectady, well, back at your, your adopted home in Schenectady, <laughs> it really just started as bringing kids to the game, but then COVID hits, everything changes, and now it's become probably more than you ever imagined. Yeah, I mean, the I was kind of blown away with... It started with me giving out tickets a couple of years ago, and now we're building the house in Schenectady. It's just the the support that I've got, and um, you know the momentum it's got is is incredible. And I'm I'm very thankful for for everyone um, for all their support, and the union community is unbelievable. So it's been a fun ride. One of the things people have asked me when we've talked to different uh, humanitarian award winners is how do they find time to fit this in, especially as a student athlete with classes, with practice, with games, with travel, and then doing this on top of it. How did you manage the time? Uh, I mean, if, there, if there's a will, there's a way. Um, I, I don't like to have too much uh, free time, so whether it was... Uh, you know, practices, games, traveling, whatever, or, or homework. If I had any free time, I would try to pop over there and, you know, help out any way I could. And um, this project, uh, it definitely kept me very busy. But, um, you know, I'm so fortunate that they're very accepting of me. And, um, you know, the re- relationship we've built over the years is very special. One of the things we've talked about this week is how interesting the hockey community is, the college hockey community with uh, Big Ten schools, with uh, small schools like Union. Why was Union a, a good fit for you uh, academically and as a player? Well, my biggest thing when I was going through the recruiting process was I wanted to find a school that, you know, set me up after college. Um, you know, I never really had too much aspirations of playing pro hockey. I, you know, was um, pretty aware of, you know, the player I was, and I knew that I wanted to set myself up to, to go to a prestigious school. And um, Union was the first school I, like, officially visited at, and I committed on the spot getting to know the coaching staff, seeing the community, uh, meeting with various, uh, you know, higher-up people on, on campus and meeting the guys and everything. It just, it clicked, and um, I couldn't see myself going anywhere else, and I'm so fortunate that Coach Bennett gave me the opportunity um, to come to Union and, you know, couldn't be, couldn't be more thankful of how things went. And when you think about playing in ECAC hockey, you you kind of visit some storied places and some programs with, uh, with great history what was it like being a, a player in that league yeah I mean it was pretty overwhelming to be honest uh, my first year like coming from Toronto it's so much different you just like hear about schools like Harvard Princeton Yale but like to physically go there and play them you know on a on a weekly basis was um, very special it was very cool um, got to see some cool rinks play some play some very good teams and um, yeah the the journey's been unbelievable 
And, you know, we talked a little bit about this uh, yesterday when we met, but maybe uh, a little bit more about it. You, you were a captain for Union. You dealt uh, with your program having the year off uh, for COVID and then uh, leading the team this year and having a uh, change in coaching and all. Uh, what has it been like being a, a captain on that and, and providing leadership uh, for younger players and uh, your peers? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been extremely special. Um, after getting named captain and then our season getting canceled, it, um, like like what I said to you yesterday, just I don't think it would have sat well with me if I just kind of graduated and moved on from Union. So it meant a lot that, you know, Coach Bennett and, and Ronan were were accepting of me to come back um, and to, to lead that group. We had 17 guys that have never played a college game before, um, before the start of this year, and to go in... I was still trying to figure it out. I've never been a captain before. I've been an assistant, but it's a lot different to actually to wear the C and all the the eyes are always on you and following your lead and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I've learned so much about myself, and um, it's been an incredible journey. And I was very happy to to lead this group, and they're unbelievable guys. Work so hard every day, and you know, it was a very uh, you know tough ending to the year, but a special year for sure. What's next? I guess is the is the big question. Obviously, every college athlete that comes out aspires to go to the next level and professionally um but obviously that might be part of it but is there going to be another you know kind of a community service campaign that kind of becomes part of your life going forward well cozy's cozy's kids will continue on for for hopefully uh the rest of my life and connected with the coco house but i mean hockey wise i'm uh i'm hanging them up i'm moving out to, to california to, to begin a career in real estate so excited about that but the beauty about social media and you know how how everything works nowadays is I can talk to Will every day and whatever whatever next steps they want or whatever next steps they got they got to take at the Coco House, um, I'll be ho- happy to help. And I've had some teammates reach out to um, provide tickets for everybody. We didn't get into it very much, but uh, you've mentioned uh, in different stories uh, about Will and and that connection. Can you tell us a little bit about him and how he brought you into Coco House? I mean, Will's <laughs> Will deserves every award in the world. He's an absolute superhero. It's uh I met Will I think 3 years ago. Learned about his story, went to volunteer at the Coco House. I saw the passion he had for these kids because um, he he walked in their shoes. He grew up in Schenectady, you know, um he went through a lot as a as a as a kid and something that kids should never have to go through so he sees where these kids are coming from the families they grew up in what they go through every day and I just saw the passion he had and just wanting to create a better better life for all these kids so I mean what I did was nothing compared to what Will's done for these guys I was just excited that and very humbled that he accepted me and their family and you know I couldn't be more thankful what do you take away from Union itself? When you think about that, I mean, obviously you've had such a great impact on the Schenectady community, but the school, it's, it's a pretty special college. People forget, like, Union's a small school. It's a Division three, athletically, it's a Division three institution. Uh, up until this year, no scholarship. I mean, th- this is a school that they won a national championship less than 10 years ago. It's one of those things, I think, when people think of Union, it, it, it kind of befuddles you, but... There can be some great success for small programs, and Union is certainly one of them. Exactly, exactly. I remember watching the Minnesota Union game in 2014, 
<laughs> and I turned the game on, and I was like, Minnesota's playing who? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, be, being from Toronto, it's not, like, too far, but, I mean, Union's not really a school that really pops off that everyone knows about, but going there, I couldn't be more thankful for, for you know, my, my career there as a student, as an athlete, the community, as I've learned through this, you know, endeavors of Cozy's Kids and the fundraising, the amount of support I've got. And I think that's what's so special about a small school, and especially a school like Union, Everyone knows everybody. Everybody wants to help out. Everyone wants to create a better, better tomorrow for everybody. And it's just, it's just such like a family. It's such a family environment. The small campus. You walk to a class. You walk past several people you know. You say hi. Teachers, you're on a first name basis with. Um, the classes are small. I mean, I could rave about Union for days um, and what it's given me and and everything. But um, you know, I'm so fortunate. I was able to go to Union and. Um, you know, it's a, a place I'll never forget, and a place I'll keep home. Uh, it'll be, I'll be, it'll be home for the rest of my life. So, a lot of personal growth, growth for yourself as well. So much. I mean, coming in, I was a very naive, immature um, kid coming in, and I would like to think that I'm a, you know, mature, mature adult now. And if if it wasn't for you, I don't think I'd be in this position today. You spoke about how maybe you got touched more by the volunteering than what you were able to give. What would you tell uh, student athletes who want to find a way to get involved or maybe even haven't thought about being involved? Yeah, like when I went to Union, I had, I had no plans for, like I've never done that much charity work. I've, I've worked with kids, um, like my high school job, whatever. I'd work at a hockey camp with kids and whatnot, but like I had no plans of really creating this. It just happened so organically. So I guess my message to, you know, athletes and students around the country would just be put yourself out there. You never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, get comfortable in uncomfortable situations. The first time I went to the Cocoa House, I was a 21, 22-year-old guy going into a room with eight-year-olds and I was the one that was uncomfortable I was, <laughs> I, I, I was nervous to meet them it was a you know an environment and a neighborhood that I was not familiar with it was a lot different from where I grew up and I just put myself out there and you know one thing led to another and um, yeah here we are it's it's been a great journey I think that says it very well get comfortable in uncomfortable situations so uh, Josh, congratulations again on the award. What a fantastic award it is. Every year we, I, I know Ed and I feel very, uh, like we don't do enough when we talk to the Humanitarian <laughs> Award recipient, and you're no no different. So thanks, thanks for your time. Congratulations. Uh, enjoy your last few months of college, and, and best of luck in everything that comes forward. And we're, n- we're not going to let you go without asking your opinion on tonight's oh, game, Denver and Minnesota State. <laughs> I mean, uh, two two teams that ro- play so disciplined. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, well. First off, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's uh, you know I'm very honored to be here. Um, but for tonight's game, I got to go Mankato. My guy, my guy Sam Morton, he, he, uh, I played with him for two years at Union, transferred to Mankato, and he's uh, paved a, a pretty good path for himself. So love Morty. Um, I got to go with the Mavs. They're on a, uh, what are they, on a 20-game heater right now? Uh, 18. 18 right now. 18, yeah. so. Uh, 19 wouldn't be bad for them. Eight, 18's a fluke, 19's a streak. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I got to go with the Mavs tonight. I'm going 3-2, 3-2 Mavs. Low-scoring game, the top two offenses, we'll, we'll see the defense come out. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I, mean, and, and, uh, I, I played with Dryden McKay for a bit. Unbelievable human being, unbelievable goalie. So I want to congratulate him on, on the Hobie last night. And 
I'm sure he would much rather a Natty ship tonight than a Hobie, so hopefully he gets both. No doubt about that. Yeah. No doubt about that. Well, Josh, thanks for joining us, and we're going to take a break and come back with more of USCHO Spotlight from Boston. This is the USCHO Spotlight. Sometimes it's not about wanting a new car, it's about needing one. And I needed one I could rely on. So I got an auto loan with DCU. They offer the same low rates on both new and used cars. And I was able to borrow a little extra to make a used car as good as new. My auto loan from DCU means a ride I can finally rely on, which feels like a pretty big thing. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA. Membership required. Visit dcu.org. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Nick Bukestad. Backhand scorer! Wow, what a goal! David Backus. And Zach Parisi were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is the USCHO Spotlight, a weekly podcast from U.S. College Hockey Online at USCHO.com, featuring conversations with college hockey coaches and players and journalists who cover the sport. Welcome back to the second hour of USCHO Spotlight, live from West End Johnny's in Boston, Saturday at the Frozen Four, brought to you by DCU Digital Federal Credit Union. What will DCU mean to you? Find out today by visiting dcu.org membership required well we're going to bring along another guest somebody familiar to all of us and and a a regular guest when we are at the frozen four jim why don't you do the honors he's the commissioner of atlantic hockey a good friend of ours good friend of the show and i got i feel like i've known you forever bobby (laughs) hey wait wait, wait. real real good friend of mine right now (laughs) and we are not talking about robert morris this is not a robert morris segment this is an atlantic hockey segment so don't i'm warning you right now jimmy I'm warning you, Ed, no Robert Morris questions or I'm going to have to excuse myself from this call. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I'd like to start out with... Uh, oh, here we I'd, go. No, I'd like to start out with, with something that, that's fairly recent, and that was uh, the Atlantic Hockey Tournament in Utica at uh, Adirondack Bank Center. Um, a really nice event. I was there uh, for, for uh, all three games, and... Uh, you know, I was impressed, but I'd like to hear your assessment of it and, and how you think it went. Well, that was the first time we were there, and uh, <laughs> the funny thing about it, we were scheduled to go back to the Harbor Center, and then the, the Pagula uh, Entertainment people got, they landed the basketball tournament for the same weekend, and there was no way we were going to go in to Buffalo and compete with them. So I went to several locations to try and get, a, a you know, another neutral site to host our tournament because that's what, you know, the coaches want. The directors uh, are in that mode. And uh, 
we met with the folks at uh, Adirondack Bank, Rob Esch and his staff and everybody, and uh, they gave us a great deal. And we met with the mayor and the mayor. We had a great press conference. I mean, they really bought in. Uh, they did a great job selling tickets. We had a great crowd there the first night. I think it might have hurt that, you know, uh, RIT get lost because lost uh, in the semifinal round because all those fans that they brought didn't come back. But the community was there, which was very good. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, how did you do financially? I said, we made money. It was, uh, they, they really helped us. The deal they gave us was very good. They really bent over backwards taking care of us while we were there, and I think they did it for everybody. I mean, I, you know, Todd Bell, the associate commissioner, said that there were communications people, the production people that, that, that helped us with the splow, you know, the splow, flow sport uh, part of it. Uh, were just terrific to work with. The talent was great, so uh, we were very happy, and the fact that we made a little money helped us as well. And I wanted to mention that I did get a chance to go back and watch some of the uh, TV production that was on Flow Sports, and it was uh, superb, top-notch, uh, great broadcasters and production. You also mentioned Todd Bell. He's new with the league this year, and uh, as media people, we noticed right away uh, the dedication he had to the job, and uh, he's really helped uh, elevate the league uh, on social media and, and helped us in the media do our jobs better. Well, it, when we interviewed uh, Todd, uh, that was explained, and I told him we gave him some targets, the things that we wanted him to do, uh, and he is just a consummate professional. Uh, he obviously, he was with the WCHA, and he's been at, uh, involved in football, and he's been involved in the Olympics, and he, the world of experience. Uh, and uh, he was just a perfect fit for us. He really wanted the job. You know, he was living in Minnesota, so he, moved, he now lives at Revere Beach. He never lived in the ocean before. <laughs> I mean, he walks out his door, he walks across the street, and he's in, he's in the water. He's got a great spot. Uh, he really loves it. He loves the league. He loves the people in the league. Uh, and he, he feels that the cooperation, and I've seen some, you know, we're, we're putting together our annual report for uh, annual meetings coming coming up with the coaches and directors, and the numbers in viewership, in terms of flow sport, the numbers in, in terms of Twitter and, and the other, uh, you know, uh, social, social, social media, so, social platforms um, have, have grown exponentially this year and it's and it's his effort and that's not my field you know i'm an administrator i'm the scheduler i'm the developing the officials working with the coaches you know i'm not a media type you know like if they ever said you don't have a media person you're going to have to do the stats stats wouldn't be very good if i What's the, the play? Obviously, has improved from year to year. I mean, I, I can attest to that. And the, I don't. I don't think the league gets as cre- the credit that it deserves on a, a daily basis because everybody looks at it as a one bid league. What are the next steps in, on being a potentially getting a second team in the league or in the tournament? All that kind of stuff. Is, I know. I know the answer to this question, but I'm sure the viewers. This is a great question for the listeners. No viewers. Nobody wants to see our faces. Well, I think he, the prime example, Derek, and we talked about it, and we, I've talked about it with the executive committee of the league. You know, we had 76 non-league games this year. You can't win 26 of them. We gotta. We have to improve that non-league percentage. 
And of those 76 games, 50 of them were on the road. That's killing us. We've got to get more of those games at home. We've got to improve the non-league competition. I think this year, obviously, everybody knows we lost a couple of years with COVID, but this year was actually the first year that everybody had the 18 scholarships. So our, our rosters are getting stronger. Our recruiting is, is getting stronger. But now even RIT can do it because of the legislation was passed. So they'll have 18 scholarships. Service academies have different type of scholarships with different types of commitments, but I think we're going to continue to get stronger, but we have to improve on our non-league. Now, we approved a little this year, but we still gotta, we've got to get up, up, up in the 400 range if we're going to, like everybody said this year, how did the NCHC get five teams in the tournament? Well, if you look at their non-league winning percentage of 635, that tells you how those other teams slid in there because they had very, very strong uh, non-league wins. But we continue. I agree with you 100%. I think our talent is in a, a, the, the other problem that I, and I see this becoming a problem more and more now is, is this portal and the extension. I mean, if you go on there, as of yesterday, there was only one school in our league that didn't have players on it, and that was Niagara. Everybody else in AIC joined it yesterday, losing uh, Five, the joint and the top two scorers is right, and we've got to find a way to do this. I mean, what they've done by this portal, and I and I understand that there are some reasons people should transfer, but not not because I'm not not 300 players right. a year. I mean, that that's not good for the game. It's free agency, and we shouldn't have that in college sports. Well, when we had a good we had a good run in the, the mid 13, 12 through 16 and, and made seven straight tournaments right. i look back at, at some of those teams i would have lost some of those players like right oh, away absolutely you know we had cody wido 31 goals as a junior in that scenario he doesn't return for a senior year mm-hmm. with the way things are right now he's at he's at a, a top school and it's no fault of ours it's nothing that we did opportunity wise mm-hmm. it's the agency advisors it's the people that are getting to him per se that cost that and like mm-hmm. you said there there needs to be some I'd say some legislation or some, I think the word that I heard last night was guardrails put on this and figure out a way to, to slow it down. Well, you, you know, the other issue also is the graduate. In the, in the old days, the old legislation would be if I finish my undergraduate, say, at, at Bentley University in three years and I wanted to go someplace for a master's, well, if it was in business because they have business, I couldn't go. If it was in astronomy and they didn't have it, I could go. But now you can go wherever you want uh, for that. And you, can, and you if you're a, a top player at one of our schools and you elect to go freely now, it, it, it hurts the program. You know, the, the schools have and the coaches have big investments in these players and, and they're not staying and that's not a good thing for us. Both. On the topic of uh, non-conference games and home games, as a league, you really don't dictate the non-conference schedule the teams have. But, you know, you have teams that play a lot of games on the road. But I, I think right now the the league, as uh, facilities have improved, uh, I can't wait to go to Sacred Heart in a year to see that new facility. I was talking to C.J. Maratolo the other, the other night. He's very excited. But uh, it seems like the league has facilities now that should support teams coming in. And we look at this past year, um, you know, 
Niagara and RIT with wins over Notre Dame and Bentley beating uh, a BC and Ohio State and some of those some of those good wins. It's it's good to get those teams coming in. Uh, I mean, I suppose all you can do is encourage, but. Uh, I mean, would, that that is what you'd like to right. see, right? Closer to fifty-fifty. Right. I, I would much rather see us. And I know that you know they travel and they get good guarantees. But I would, if I had my brothers, I'd rather see them go two at home and two away. That way, there that you bring them back into your building. And I have a lot of confidence in in the quality of our coaches in the league. And I think you, you put those other schools on their home ice. I think you can get a bit a better outcome. At least you get an opportunity. We started with Bentley better. this year. Ohio yeah. State and Boston College yeah. wins yeah. against both of those yeah. teams at home. True. So, Bob, I I know that this is not directly related to Atlantic hockey, but you work with the NUHA, the New England Women's Hockey Alliance, uh, as well. And now we saw Stonehill, which is a, I believe part of NUHA. Am I right? Am I right yes. to say that they're part of that? They now are going to bring their division their men's program to division one is there some discussion about other programs in that league that want to maybe move the men's programs uh, toward that division one level well, there's a whole bunch of them right now that are kind of playing an independent schedule because they don't have a tournament in division two you know st anselm's assumption uh, southern new hampshire university franklin p i don't want to name them all because i know i'm going to miss somebody and somebody's going to be upset but uh, you know, they don't have a home. I think they'd like a home, and they'd like that opportunity to compete. Uh, I think Stonehill's move was because they joined the NEC in Division One in all programs, and because they were in all programs, uh, they will ele- elevate their men's program to Division One, uh, and, and they'll play an independent schedule. Now, you've got, you know, Arizona State, you've got the Alaskan schools, you've got LIU Long Island, you've got... Uh, now Stonehill, you've got Lindenwood, who's now declared. Uh, so there's, and there are some other schools that are entertaining um, with rinks, which is great. And they've got, you know, they've got a men's and women's programs that are in the, um, you know, the uh, club leagues at the Division One level, and they're talking about possibly elevating. So there could be a whole bunch of schools coming and adding it, which would be a great thing for our sport. Really, what? what? What do you? I mean, we're looking at big numbers now. I mean, if you're, you're talking, maybe that could be six to ten teams. In oh, that, Jimmy's going to want a seventy kick again. again. He's going seventy here. We, I, no, I said eighty the other day. Eighty, and I was said programs? I feel like we have enough talent out there to get to seventy or eighty programs. Well, I think you can. There is a lot of talent. I think the the pool is 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 is, is growing. Uh, I think the opportunity for young players on both the men's. And, and certainly on the women's side has greatly increased. Uh, to your point, Stonehill did elevate their women's program. They hired Tara as the new head coach. They've been recruiting all year. They start in the league, uh, in the new high league this year with a full schedule, and they're eligible for the playoffs. Uh, we've, we've been in contact from two other schools that potentially are going to elevate their women's program. So I, I see a lot of growth in that regards as well. So, you know, I'm just hoping that uh, we, we can establish some rules and guidance on that this portal and we can stop some of this free agency. And I think that's going to help the game rather than But do than you see it. that? I don't see that going away. I feel like the, the rights of the student-athletes have been put very far to the front that the portal's not going to change much. Well, I don't know. 
uh, all of the in and outs. I haven't read all of the cases, but I, I, I hear the antitrust uh, argument all the time about that. And uh, the latest from the powers to be is minimums are good, but maximums are not. Like, you, you know, right now we have 18 scholarships in men's and women's basketball. So we can, we, I mean, and in uh, men's and women's hockey, so we can establish uh, a minimum standard. But it's my understanding that when this is all said and done, that if a school wants 24 hockey scholarships, there's going to be no, mo- no maximum, and they're going to be able to do that. What's next? What's next on the agenda for college hockey, in your opinion, um, well, I think so let's take Robert Morris out of the mix as far as all those kind of things. What's what's the biggest thing you think on the agenda for college hockey? I think controlling that, and you know, Derek, you mentioned it. The the advisors and the attorneys and everything. I mean, we know the commissioners know. We've heard it. We've we've seen it and heard it in our meetings that we've got agents and we've got family advisors, and and we even have people going into junior teams and saying, listen, you know, I don't know how many of you committed, but you have, there's an opportunity here, here, and here at this school. You ought to decommit and move. That stuff, to me, we, we need to maintain the ethics in, in what we're doing here. And, that, and that's a major concern of mine that, you know, the ability of coaches to call, you know, Jimmy Conley's at School X and, you know, a coach, an assistant coach, calls him and says, listen, you need to transfer to our school because you can play here and you will be on the power play or you will be on the man down and the power play and you entice him. And, I mean, that shouldn't be happening. That, and, that shouldn't be happening. And throw on top of that name, image, and likeness. You know, you may have opportunities at a big school in that, but you may also have an opportunity uh, not to pick on them. But North Dakota, that's not really a, a large community but a very prominent program. Uh, that that uh, very prominent program in a small community mm-hmm. where there are opportunities and you know I mean obviously hearing it about it in football uh, uh, Arch Manning uh, the highly recruited uh, uh, potential uh, college quarterback he's got uh, you know all possibly millions of dollars thrown at him but you're not going to see millions of dollars in college hockey but you could see numbers like going toward players you think about some of these draft picks that Michigan has had, Owen Power or Luke Hughes or something, there's there's money out there to also influence things on top of all those things you mentioned. Well, it's funny. I haven't seen the article. Uh, Donnie Lucia was going to send it to me, but evidently uh, Minnesota, the University of Minnesota, has made an announcement that their student-athletes are going to get $6,000 a year for academic achievement and so on and so forth, additional to scholarships. So uh, that... It, if that's going to continue to happen and grow, that's going to the haves are going to get further ahead of the have-nots because there are going to be schools right now, as you know, Division One ice hockey has uh, 23, 24 members of the Division Two and Three schools, right. and I don't see those, all of those schools having the ability to throw that kind of money at their student athletes. What do you think the and we've talked about this, but this has been a regular question here to the other commissioners. Single sport conferences, what do you see, how do you see that playing out as, as the landscape changes? Well, I think over the years, I think the next five years could be very crucial, and they could 
potentially be consumed by, right now there's only the Big Ten that's a, a member of a complete, full, multi-sport conference, but it, it's a possibility that the others could be consumed uh, because of financial considerations, the thought of making it better, more media exposure. I mean, think about Big Ten hockey being in that office rather than standalone. You know, the... Uh, TV package that they have for both the men's and women's program, the support staff that they have out of that office. You talk about the number of people that are working on social media for the Big Ten all every day. They go in and that's their job. I, mean, I can, to be perfectly honest, Todd Bell does that for us, but there wouldn't be Todd Bell and four assistants. We just do not have the ability to maintain that. Uh, financially, so that's uh, kind of. So you see it. You little, see it going that direction. Uh, I could see it moving in that direction. Right now, uh, my understanding that they haven't made any uh, movement in eliminating them, but I think it could happen as things move on. Particularly if the limit on scholarships raises. I understand that the limit on coaches is going to be open that you can't establish a limit on the number of coaches so you know Derek is a head coach or Wayne Wilson is a head coach or, or any of the head coaches can say okay it's going to be me now and four assistants and an operations guy and without that control and ability programs and costs are going to expand so we uh, we did see uh, some good success in the uh the awards side, and you had an All-American from Atlantic Hockey this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the caliber of player, we, I know Derek kind of started out with this, but the caliber mm. of player is, is increasing. And yeah. and I think that that is, is that the scholarship issue? Is that from well, when you got to 18, is that what the game changer was? Well, I think that's helped, but, you know, Colin Billick is an army. He, you know, right. he went there, and he got a four-year commitment after this. He had a four-year full right uh, no matter what. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> no, a little extra work uh, on the uh, side, though. Yeah, it's a little difference between those two service academies. You go to Wyoming and they give you a helmet and an M16. You go to Air Force, they give you a helmet but they give you an F18 to fly. So it's just, <laughs> you know, it's a little little different. Uh, but you're right. I think, Jimmy, we're, uh, we've got more talented kids coming in the league. I mean, I, you look at the portal today and, and some of the kids, our, our best defenseman in the league, rookie of the year a year ago, Barraro from Bentley, gone uh, don't know where yet, but he goes oh, on he, the pool. He's going to Notre Dame. Oh, it did come out. I haven't seen yeah, that. So yeah. I haven't, I, this whole weekend, I haven't been on the portal at all because of the events and the meetings and stuff that we've been attending. But, I mean, that, you know, Bentley brings him in. He develops. He play, plays in 68 games over two years. He's the best defenseman in the league, rookie of the year, best defenseman this year, and they lose him. You know, key man anchors there. Uh, power play helps in the man down obviously with the others but you can't keep having your best players be with you for two and three years and you help develop them and then they go out the door. We can't become a developmental league. Somewhere I talked to Rick Godkin last night from Mercyhurst and you can't become a somewhere between the USHL and the NCHC and where they can pick and choose your best players because we are Division 1 college and I say we because it's all the mid-majors you know, you look at CCHA schools, the same thing happens to the NCHC Big Ten, and, and it's a pecking right. order. And it, it just can't continue that way, or 
or you know what, you can't you can't lose your best player every year. And I feel for the guys right now yeah. because, like you said, Bavaro and Canisius has got two guys that are, are some of their better players. Cavalry at uh, RIT. You go down the list of people in the portal, and they're some of the top players in the well, league. Well, you you mentioned Rick Gawkin. His goalie by far was the best goalie right. in the league consistently, and everything gone. I lost yeah. I lost Francis Murat. You know, right. I mean. It's it's not a, it's not it's not good for it. It may sound good for the student athletes, and this is what you have to have, but it's it's creating chaos, and it's not good for the sport. It really isn't. Well, Bob DiGiorgio, it's uh, it's always good to catch up with you. Uh, we appreciate your time and everything you do for the game, mm. and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy tonight's final. I think we're going to get a pretty good hockey game over there across the street. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, very exciting. A very good, two good teams, good goaltending, and I think it's going to be uh, a real challenging game tonight for and both. And congratulations for us being on the same podcast for twenty minutes <laughs> and not bringing up reinstatement of Robert Morris. So we we just we just we got one thing done today. Yeah. It was that. Yeah. Well, okay. Bob, thanks for joining us. We're going to take a break and come back with uh, more of USCHO Spotlight from Boston. This is the USCHO Spotlight. Money for rent? I always make sure I have it. But a little extra for a rainy day fund always felt out of reach till I switched to DCU and opened their free checking account. Now, I'm able to get my direct deposit up to two days sooner. And I even get reimbursed for those expensive ATM fees. All those savings add up to more than just money. My checking account from DCU means more sure things. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA. Membership required. Visit dcu.org. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Nick Bukestad. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! David Backus. And Zach Parisi were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! What is dedication? My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between. I think a parent's job is to protect our children but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This is USCHO Spotlight, live from West End Johnny's in Boston, getting ready for tonight's national championship game between Denver and Minnesota State, brought to you by Digital Federal Credit Union. What will DCU mean to you? Find out today by visiting dcu.org, membership required. I'm Ed Trefsker alongside Derek Schooley and Jim Connolly. And Jim, why don't you bring in our next guest? He is the executive director of College Hockey, Inc. And a good time to be that in that position as this game keeps growing. They do a great job marketing the sport. But Mike Snee, welcome to, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to Boston. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I always enjoy this opportunity. Uh, we saw a packed building over at TD Garden on Thursday. Yeah. And after the last couple of years... As somebody that markets this sport, that has to feel pretty good. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the packed garden, walking around the streets here, just seeing people everywhere, this restaurant, yeah, it feels really good. But what we saw on Thursday and what we're going to see tonight, it's, uh, it's finally back. It's hard to believe it's been three years, but um, that was wonderful. 
how difficult were the last two, two, three years, not just on college hockey, but on, on what you guys do at college hockey? I know there's been more opportunities maybe to use some virtual, and yeah. Zoom became a nice thing, but at the same time, you're trying to get out and talk and evangelize this game to future players all over the world. Yeah. It, it has to be challenging when you have pandemic rolling all around you well it it, it was I, I i'm glad that we're you know hopefully through it here but it, it made us better because we discovered virtual you know um but more importantly everybody else did so if we put together an event um there was an intimidation when we tried to use skype like five years ago to do an event <laughs> because we didn't do a good job at it but it didn't matter because people weren't coming to our skype events because they were intimidated by it we're now asking somebody to click on a zoom link is like asking somebody to make a phone call um, so it really allowed us uh, over the past two years to go further be in front of more people and just take advantage of that from a standpoint of what we do but i also think to credit to everybody involved in college hockey leadership leadership at the schools leadership at the conferences, college hockey happened. And I know that you know some of the schools weren't able to play and, and, and it was interesting. You, know, you look at what the NCHC did with their bubble and so it was different, but it happened. And I think it really, it really said how much uh, these conferences and the schools care about ensuring that the student athlete experience occurs. So um, you know, I hope we never have to go through it again, but I right. think the way that everything kind of came together, it was yet another shining moment for college hockey in, in reality. As a former board member of College Hockey, how come yeah. I never got a jacket like that? <laughs> uh, because you were in the quarter zip era. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah I, you want I, the jacket? Here, I'll, I'll take the jacket <laughs> off of... Yeah. I, I don't think I'd fit in there. I, I think you might be a little small for yeah, school. This, this, this is crazy here. I mean, yeah. I I'll leave, cut the I leave, sleeves off. I leave the you. board. They get all this good stuff. I leave the championship committee. They get all this good stuff. Everybody's getting good stuff now. I got I got shafted well, on that. Well, I, I get, that's an opportunity for us to thank our sponsors at CCM. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I pre, you know what? You do a lot for college hockey. And, you know, we talked to Jason the other day about the role of college hockey. And tell us how, since your time as the executive director, how this has changed a little bit um, from where you, when you started to where, you, to where things are now. Well, this is, uh, will soon be the start of my 10th year. I started in the fall of 2012, and the organization started in 2010. And for a number of reasons, the organization was created. I mean, we are just a three-person nonprofit, and you've got two-thirds of the staff within 10 feet of you. Um, <laughs> and a former guy listening, Nate Ewell, uh, keeps texting me. Oh, is he, uh, yeah. is he tuning in? He's yeah, been from tuning his pool in side. Week, yes. well, Long-time listener, first-time texter. Poolside, he keeps sending me pictures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sick of seeing pictures of Nate's pool. So <laughs> I hope he can hear that. Um, but um, um, so we, we really started in essence, I think, because there was starting to be some miscommunication about college hockey, how good it was on the ice, off the ice, and what the intent of, 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 the, of the players. And, and I often look back at this stat, and I think there's a lot of, of, of uh, statistics or whatever you want to point to to say, you know, is it working? But this, this is a pretty interesting. So the first four years of college hockey, Inc., from 2010 to 2013, there were 24 Americans that um, were drafted in the first round in those four NHL drafts. Of those 24, 16 did not play college hockey, did not play college hockey. In the, in the four most recent drafts, um, so this past summer's and the three prior, there have been 23 Americans drafted in the first round of those four drafts. So almost the same exact number. Every single one except one, Jack Hughes, played college hockey. So in just that span of time to see um, 
you know, those, those that caliber of American-born player realizing that Minnesota State, Michigan, Denver, Minnesota, whatever the school is, is is um, not only a viable route. It's like it's 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 by far the default route now. You know, and I th- so I think that's why why we were created. But along the way, there's been some things that we've added to it. You brought up Jason earlier. Um, I think because we're such a single sport conference um, sport, um, that sometimes our stories weren't being told because because our schools weren't part of this multi-sport conference that was in charge with telling the story. So we've been able to fill that niche that, you know, whether it's a school out here in Hockey East or Atlantic Hockey or a school out west in CCHA or, or NCHC, we don't care. They're all part of us. You know, we're one big conference, so we tell the stories in that way. And then the third thing I think that we've added along the way, which is really a lot of fun and satisfying, is trying to grow the game and find new schools to, to add it. So um, I think when we started, Derek, to answer your question in a long way, we really were singularly focused on just providing information to 14- and 15-year-olds and their parents, and then we can we still do that, but we've added these other two aspects to our, our, our mission. A lot of people list, turned in and listened to the Red Barons, and I've, I've seen tweets and text messages, and Red Barons and being a St. Louis guy, you spending your summers in St. Louis guy. What's it like to play hockey against my dad? Uh, well, <laughs> you wanted me to show you the back of my ankles? I got some scars. Uh, it's no, fine. I, <laughs> You know, St. Louis, uh, so to, to background of that, my wife is from St. Louis, so I've, I've uh, been going to St. Louis for the past 25 years quite a bit. And um, I knew it, but, I mean, it's a wonderful hockey town. It's a wonderful hockey town, and I think it's kind of finally people realize that. But Which, which uh, leads into Lindenwood. Yeah, which leads into Lindenwood. And then, well, I, no, I'm going to talk about me playing, there. Oh, you, you want to talk about me playing. So, uh, so there's it's a great group there, and they've kind of welcomed me in. And every time I go there, I uh, I go play in this group of guys that play hockey. And it turns out, I mean, he he and I had been playing for a long time. And one time, your dad had a Robert Morris shirt on, and I looked at it, and I go, hey, wait a minute, Derek's from here. And I said, are you Derek's? And I had no idea I'd been playing hockey with your dad all this time. But, um, but Lindenwood is just another example. Augustana. Um, I think that that people, um, people, leadership at schools realize how how important hockey can be to a campus, both from its its um, students, its alumni, the community that it's in, but also the success they can have. And there's constantly examples of that, and you're seeing it tonight. You know, Minnesota State Division Two Athletics Department um, with a Division One hockey program, and they just beat a Big Ten school, and it wasn't an upset, and they're on the verge of winning a national championship. And, you know, they're nothing like St. Peter's. They are a legitimate uh, college hockey power, and there are other schools like them So I th- that are college hockey powers. Um, so I think whether you're a school like Lindenwood or Augustan, and you see you can have that success, but at the same time, the national profile schools like Michigan and Minnesota they also the school the sport is very impactful on their campus too. So it's a really unique sport in that regard. Uh, Penn State famously, when they started the program, had a big benefactor in uh, Terry Pagula, and it was a big budget uh, arena in in funding the program. And it seemed like at that time that might have been a little discouraging to smaller schools. But we saw Arizona do sort of something in between. And certainly uh, with Lindenwood and Augustana and LIU, who against all odds seems to have pulled off, pulled it off, has that helped having small schools show that it can be done? I think so. Um, I think you're right that Penn State was a, both a blessing and a curse. Um, you know, the blessing piece was it, 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 it was the first, I think, Power 5 school to add hockey since Notre Dame brought it back in the 70s. So there was a run there where we had some wonderful schools at, add Division One hockey or elevate to Division One, but um, for the most part they were within the, the kind of the existing college hockey 
territory footprint. Um, and not that Penn State wasn't in that footprint. They were, obviously, being close to Robert Morris and, and, and uh, Mercyhurst. But, you know, they're, they're kind of their Power 5 status. Um, they came in and did that, and they had a lot of success. So we started trying to use that to set up, you know, who's the next one. And we would call a school, and, and they would frequently say, well, if you find somebody who's going to give us $100 million, we'll add hockey. So it, it was a blessing and a curse. Um, but then along came Arizona State. It's a similar story, but a lot less, lot less of a gift. And, and then, as you mentioned, uh, Augustana and, and, and uh, Lindenwood, but a few of the others that we've been working on. Illinois is a really good example. Illinois is the opposite of Penn State. Um, they, they got... They were getting a lot of small gifts, you know, I mean, small relative terms, you know, enormous by my standards, but <laughs> small by those standards, and, sh- and really showing that it can be done in a multitude of, um, of, uh, of different ways. So, um, and, and now, I don't know where it, what a trend is, but Arizona State, Penn State, Augustana, Lindenwood, we've got several more that we're working with. I think we're at a point where you can kind of call it a trend, that um, a lot of other sports are are dropping or losing schools that are providing it where uh, in, call, in, in Division One hockey, it's growing. Do you see it, there's been a – we've been around 60, and this has been Jimmy's fam- famous question all week. We've been around 60, down to 58, up to 63, Anchorage coming back, us coming back. What do you see the final number at? I think it's infinite. I mean, I, wanna, I, 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 I said this yesterday at a press conference. Oh, you got to give us a number. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, because Jimmy's got a number he's been throwing out, and I got really? a number. Yeah. Okay. Where do you see it in in five to ten? In let's say seven years. Okay. Well, right now we're using sixty three. If you count if you count uh, Robert Morris, Augustana, Lindenwood, sixty three. Uh, I'm going to go out and say in five years we'll be at sixty six. How about that? Sixty six. Let's in, in, in ten years we'll double that and say we're at hundred. Hundred yeah, thirty two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy's using uh, the number eighty. I've been going on eighty. Well, I, I, I I'd, I'd rather say it for eighty. I'd rather say it this way. Um, I've got about twenty to thirty more years left to work towards this, and and this is what we're shooting for. Some Saturday, some weekend in February, Oregon is hosting Washington with the Pac twelve title on the line. Okay, that's what we're shooting for. That we're we're growing coast to coast, border to border, just like the NHL has done. Um, so you know we got to get there one school at a time. And we haven't talked about Tennessee State yet, but I could talk about what the leadership down there from both the school and the Predators and the NHL and how special that would be to get an HBCU to offer hockey. What that could do for our sport. How about the NHL? I know the NHL has been part of the the scene with this. How how important? Is uh, the expanded footprint of the uh, National Hockey League to finding schools who want to do it? And you think about Seattle Kraken, and you know they were helpful uh, with Alaska Anchorage. And uh, how how impactful is the NHL in making this? Penguins happen? were helpful with us. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think we owe almost all of Terry Pagula owns an NHL team. You know, I think we owe. What they have done when they stepped up a few years ago, back in 2017, the NHL, along with the NHL Players Association, they partnered and said if a school is serious about looking into adding hockey, we'll pay for the feasibility study for them to to see what it takes. Lindenwood, okay? Um, The St. Louis Blues, their leadership, introduced us to Lindenwood. We met with them for the first time back in 2017 initiated a feasibility study. They already had Division I women's hockey and then a high-performing ACHA club program. 
Um, so initiated a feasibility study. The NHL and the NHLPA paid for it. The St. Louis Blues supported it along the way. And then obviously built the practice facility, which is now going to be their, it, it's their current club team's home, and it will be their, uh, their men's varsity home and already their women's varsity home. So the NHL is invaluable, and I would suggest very little, if any of this would be happening, if we weren't having the support from the league, players association, and the individual teams. And you brought up the Kraken, and uh, I'm fortunate to have worked for Todd Lywicki back when I worked at the Minnesota Wild. He's the president, CEO, something. Uh, yeah, he's the, the leader of the Kraken, very visionary. And he realizes that, that um, you know, you want to create a, a full hockey market, not just an NHL hockey market. And that means having viable and vibrant youth hockey and collegiate hockey and, and in there, and especially in a market like that where those university brands mean so much out, out in the Pacific Northwest. So, um, you know, it's very aspirational. It might be slightly unrealistic, but I think it's something to shoot for. That's someday that we have all sorts of schools like that, nationally branded schools, but at the same time, Minnesota State can still beat them. Robert Morris can still beat them and win a national championship. That's what makes college hockey literally unlike any other college sport. You talked yesterday during your press conference uh, at the TD Garden about cold calling. Is cold calling still really part of it, or is yeah. you, still, oh, yeah. you still do just pick up the phone and, and reach out to these schools to see what their interests are? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little more strategic, I guess, uh, but it's still a cold caller. Yeah. We try to find a you know an NHL connection to a team, but if there's a facility, because, because that is a unique aspect of our sport. You don't just go out and restripe an existing field and start playing another sport. Right. Yeah, the facility, and if there's not a facility, then there's there's uh, enormous hurdles. And one of the aspects that really got us going was Lindenwood was when we contacted Blues because we were aware they were building a practice facility that was going to have the you know the three thousand seat seat rink that it has. So we look for where there are reasons why it might be easier to happen somewhere. There's an existing facility. We're aware of of a person who has a passion for that school, a passion for hockey, and a bigger bank account than mine. Um, or maybe they're part of a conference like, like the Big Ten, any school in the Big Ten. They're part of a conference that already offer the sport. So we try to be strategic in it and then find a connection. But absolutely, we cold call. And a couple of the schools that um, we're having some success with, meaning they're considering it, uh, our schools had just initiated with um, a call out of the blue, which, which actually was Illinois. Illinois was just a cold call to their new AD at the time. Changing, changing subjects a little bit transfer portal we just had bob diagorio on we talked a lot about mid-majors down all the number of players on it thoughts from college hockey inc thanks for having me guys i gotta go <laughs> <laughs> hey you, you got two minutes left <laughs> we gotta we can't have you without the transfer portal comments uh okay so our um you know we were we work when we, we mean it we work for all 63 schools okay so um uh we're gonna we're gonna be happy for a winner tonight and and bummed for a loser tonight um, so the first way I look at it is it's there, okay? It's not going away. Um, it's more than just a hockey thing. It's a, it's a college athletics thing. So it's there. Uh, it's a unique circumstance now because it's new and because you still have the five-year COVID scenario. So right. there's probably more, more supply going in. And I think what we're finding out here is there, there's more supply, meaning players, and then there's going to be demand. So it's like musical chairs, but you only have 10 chairs, but you've got 25 people playing. Um, so I, I, I sense what will happen is it will settle down, both once people realize that it's not this panacea, go in there and automatically find a better spot. Um, plus, there will be, we'll get through this 
this pool of players that right. have five years of eligibility. So I hope it gets to a point where, you know, it, it's not not this thing that we fear it might be. Okay, um, but you know, it's, it's not going away. And how's that for an answer, Derek? Very politically correct compared to all sixty-three <laughs> teams. Yeah, we just uh, we like to stick to uh, you know you know the. Um, why is his name escaping me? The, the hockey humanitarian, Josh. Jo- jo- okay, Josh. So I was yeah. listening to your interview with Josh, and I was was there yesterday when when he when he won, and I read about him and stuff. And you know, we, we do talk a lot about the guys in the NHL. We just had our three hundred thirty fourth player record number for college guys in the NHL. We talk about that kind of stuff, but it's really Josh's success story, you know, because there just aren't that many spots in the NHL. But there's a whole lot of spots for a guy like Josh to play, and and so you know, your politically correct answer, we. We love telling those stories, and and it just – I feel most guys that come and play college hockey, they're not going to make a living at, at, at hockey, at pro hockey, because there's so few spots. And regardless of whether you're playing in Europe, you're playing major junior in Canada, whatever it is, there's just not enough spots. But, man, you you got to say that Josh is an example of just a successful college hockey story, right? You know, and he's played his last game. So um, – I don't know how I took the transfer portal and turned it into Josh, but uh. <laughs> well, you know what? I think it, I think it, your transition was nice. I've learned Thank you. The, yeah. the transition. I'm in, not a pro this, like you either, yeah, Derek. You know. The transition right now is working well, but I think what you know what the the nice thing we talked about yesterday is and Ed talked about it, Jimmy's talked about it, and I talk, is just the. The, the thank yous you get from players for it t- affecting their lives, and that's really what college is about. College is about the four years now. Some in some cases the five. It's about the experience. It's yeah. about you know going back to your alumni reunion. It's about all that stuff, and and and, and it's about jo- stories yeah. like Josh. Yeah, and and Josh said, uh, you know, in 2014 he had never even heard of Union, right? Yeah, he and and now Union him. will be part of his identity for the rest of his life. Yeah, so. it's true. Well, Mike Snee, we appreciate you stopping by and, and sharing your 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 input on the sport. And I, I love what college hockey is becoming. I love the growth, and I know you have a big part to do with that. So uh, enjoy tonight's championship game. It should be a heck of a hockey game. And uh, we'll Will do. Yeah. And appreciate love, your support. I love the coat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate the support. We, we do have to get you a new 30-second uh, spot, though. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> some of those players have retired by now. Yeah. So we'll get that for you. All right, All right. thanks, thanks guys. Appreciate it. And we'll be back with more of USCHO Spotlight live from Boston in just a moment. This is the USCHO Spotlight. Sometimes it's not about wanting a new car, it's about needing one. And I needed one I could rely on. So I got an auto loan with DCU. They offer the same low rates on both new and used cars, and I was able to borrow a little extra to make a used car as good as new. My auto loan from DCU means a ride I can finally rely on, which feels like a pretty big thing. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA. Membership required. Visit dcu.org. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Johnny Gaudreau. Backhand scorer! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. Shane Gossespierre were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world.
We're back at West End Johnny's in Boston with USCHO Spotlight live from the Frozen Four, sponsored by DCU Digital Federal Credit Union. What will DCU mean to you? Find out today by visiting dcu.org. Membership required. Well, it wouldn't be a Frozen Four and a live podcast without our next guest. And uh, Jim, why don't you... Uh, do the honors. Yeah, when you use the words last but not least, I think we definitely <laughs> get it. That is most applicable here. Uh, longtime commissioner of college hockey, longtime friend of college hockey. Uh, he's now at the Eastern Hockey League as its commissioner. But Joe Britannia, uh, I don't think we could have gone a frozen four without having yeah. you on the broadcast. So I'm glad that you get to be our last stop on the uh, the, the train through college hockey. But welcome in. Yep, we're we're all about tradition. So this is <laughs> one more of them in my home turf. Yeah, and that is a big part. You know, I, I know that you were about really were the bid. I mean, you were the commissioner of hockey East when hockey's bid for this frozen four was awarded. Uh, it's great to see the city vibrant after such a long difficult period through covid and now seeing boston alive again well you have this false sense that you've seen people because you've been on zoom calls and (laughs) you've seen their faces and i've uh, seen you a lot joe by the way i know (laughs) but i you know knowing i had to come out here i I was part of the awards thing last night i'm embarrassed to say i couldn't find too many sport coats that fit me post covid (laughs) sitting around the house in sweatshirts and sweats and uh I think when I was at the podium last night, I still found a tag on my sleeve that I had forgotten to take off. But it, it actually is great to see everybody live, just to, to be in here. I, I'm partial to, if I was the czar, I'd have uh, Boston and St. Paul in every cycle, which it almost has worked out kind of that way. And, and my reasoning is there are great hockey people who go and support college hockey in those two areas all winter long, and they wouldn't have to get a plane ticket or a hotel. They could, if they could get the tickets, they could drive to watch it, and you know, then you can move it around to other sites. Um, I know the fans love going to Tampa. I guess that's where we are next year. Uh, but um, all the experiences inside the buildings are pretty much the same because they're all NHL buildings. You, you don't go to any place where you're scratching your head about the building. So right. you try to have a good experience outside. And the weather hasn't always cooperated these few days, but um, you know, I, I think Boston and St. Paul would. I think should be regular stops. Well, they have they have been. Yeah, and you'll Ish, you'll yeah. thank me. <laughs> well, you were on the committee. There yeah, you go. you'll thank me when we're in Vegas in about four years. So you, you I had my chance to go to the All Star <laughs> game. This my my flight got canceled, I so I never that. went, and I've never been to Vegas. Once again in four years, just I just want to thank you. Okay, <laughs> my, my first trip to a casino was yesterday when I went into the Encore and took the wrong door, and. Uh, there was a Shake Shack inside, so I <laughs> I didn't gamble other than on my diet. <laughs> you did. Uh, you did. I might have gambled. You mentioned you coordinated all the awards last night over well, at Encore, and I didn't get over. We were broadcasting, but I heard the experience over there was a great one. It was. It, there were some people who were skeptical about going into and even being associated with the casino, but it worked out great. And uh, the Hobie people really coordinated, and and as you know, we've been able to bring all the awards under one roof. The Richter being the last one. This was the first time we presented the Derek Hines Award live and, um, and the first time under the commissioner's watch that Mike Richter uh, was there to present his. And I, Mike went to my goalie school when he was 15, 16 years old, so I've known him. I asked him yesterday how old he was. He's 55, so it's been 40 years since I first met him. He looks exactly the same. <laughs> He's got a son that's a freshman on the union team uh, who oh, I met last night. And I just was impressed that all the kids, that, kids all those players that got up to speak were were terrific they're all a little bit different 
Um, and that was a nice, nice addition to the evening. Talk to me a little bit about your role as executive director of the American Hockey Coaches Association. We're going to a new yeah. site this year. Uh, Naples, since I've been in coaching, which was 1997, we've always been at the Naples Beach Club. Yeah. Said goodbye to that last year. Right. Now we're going to a new site. Explain to me a little about your role there and, and, and about our new host. Sure. So Naples Grand, is, it's, it's actually going to be a, an upgrade in terms of a nicer hotel, but the, the hockey community just fell in love with the Naples Beach Club. It was a family-owned. It wasn't a chain. They, we were their biggest account. So it was tough to say goodbye. They've been, they've been sold. Um, the new place will be fine. I think we're going to be back to about two-thirds, three-quarters of what we normally do. We normally, when I make up the badges and, and, and my wife does all the uh, membership and so forth, we usually have about 700 people between the vendors, the coaches, uh, NCAA, commissioners, and all that. Uh, we'll probably be around 500, which since we haven't been there in three years, that's a good step towards normalcy. Um, Steve Wheedler is an assistant coach of Vermont, puts the agenda together. It's a lot of hard work. Last year was a virtual agenda, and Steve's done a great job. It's a, there's a real wide range of, you know, everybody wants X's and O's and drills, but there's also professional development and, and how assistant coaches can get a head coaching job and how you can, you know, d- grow as a, as a coach. So uh, Bruce Delmenthal, who's been my partner in crime, he, he's the contact with the hotel. And because of post-COVID, everybody wants to go to Florida. Everybody wants to travel. <laughs> so normally if we ran out of rooms, we, the hotel would just give us more rooms. We negotiated a $230 rate. They won't give us any more rooms when we sold out because they can get $800 a night with all this rush to go and, and, and travel again. So... Uh, part of the reason we're in Naples is there are other hotels on 41. It's The weather's usually good. You're close to the airport. You're on the water. You have cheaper places to go if you can't afford the, the new place. And I'm just hoping to get everybody back together. And, and uh, Though, you know, at the same time, we, we had a, I, I had a three-hour meeting with the commissioners yesterday. I saw you had Bobby D on before. And they talked about how the, your culture has changed with this transfer rule and and uh, some of the people going after people on existing rosters, and it could be an interesting meeting when that comes up on the floor. And I'm going to have. I'm a, looking forward to it. I don't have a team, so I'm just yeah. going to be a good. I'm going to sit there with the, my you're popcorn. The good guy. Yeah, you're I'm a good guy. A, I'm the, I got the popcorn. I'm ready to go. I I'll mean, sit with you. Yeah, I got. <laughs> I think one of the things that that makes college hockey so unique is the relationships among the coaches. I hope that doesn't change. And, and that's where I was going with it. What? It, what? It, how have you seen it? I mean, you've been around. And we talk about the beach club, and I hear the stories about Amo Pasoni and all the, the legends that were down there and, you know, at how small a community is. And now it's getting bigger. You're getting the club hockey. You're getting everybody there. How do you see the relationships evolving over the years compared to now? And like you said, I hope it doesn't change either. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there, there was I, – I, when you look back, you always put a different shine on it than maybe it really was. But there yes. is that sense that – you know, there were characters. You know, there was Snooks and Cooney, and there was Amo and, Ron you, know, and you know, guys that had big personalities. And, uh, you know, Al Renfro was one of my favorites who would come down to Naples and tell stories. Now the, the coaches are great coaches, but they're, they seem to be, to me anyway, to be driven. Uh, Norm at Wolf, right. you know, uh, different guys, that, Greg at UMass. These are great coaches. Nobody's questioning that. But they're serious, and, they're, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's an era where the coach can really just coach. They have director of hockey ops. Right. You're not, like, I remember going to see Bobby Gaudet at Brown. He was shopping skates. He was ordering equipment. He was carrying bags. You know, the coaches can put that aside and just focus on coaching. 
and coaching today, you have so much information on your opponent. You know everything about them because of video and, and uh, streaming games and so forth. It's a different culture. We've always wanted to be big. You know, and when Sean Walsh was a president of the HCA, he'd always compare us with basketball and football. How come we didn't do this? How come we didn't do that? And I, part of me used to say, careful what you wish for. I think when we were a little bit smaller and a little bit off, off to the side, it was a, it was, there were some good things about that. As you get bigger and you become more intense and winning is so important and you get these beautiful buildings everybody has, yeah. all of a sudden, you know, job security might not be what it was. Uh, the relationship between coaches might not be as friendly in some places. So I think with growth comes some of these new challenges. Joe, can I put you on the spot here? Because we had this conversation. Red Berenson was here. Yeah. You're Mount Rushmore of coaches. You've been around this forever. Mount Rushmore, we had our little discussion about it. Give me give me yours and if you could do it real quick. Yeah, Red would be there. Jack Parker would be there. Jerry, you know, I'm a little bit biased to the east. Uh, uh, Jerry, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the great coaches of, uh, you know, Murray Armstrong, what they did at Denver, and Ned Harkness, what he did at Cornell. That's a pretty good starting point for me. Uh, I mean, I'm, I played in college in the 70s, and the, the four championship teams when I was in school all wore red and white. You know, Bob <laughs> Johnson should be there. So it was it was. BU you know, Cornell, Mason, yeah, Wisconsin. and Ron Mason, BU Cornell, Wisconsin, won the titles when I was in school. So, yeah, Ron would be there. Um, Jeff Sauer is another favorite of mine. Um, Harkness, I think a lot of the younger people don't appreciate. He won two championships at two different schools and two different sports. He won a national championship in lacrosse at Cornell, and he won hockey at RPI in Cornell. And he was a bit of a rogue. Uh, so, um, and, and another great person. I don't think you could do just to a Mount Rushmore. You almost need like. A, oh, you need you need, you need you need side by side Mount Rushmore. Yeah, really yeah. You know, you really you need the Senate. <laughs> you, you, you know, the other thing you get missed in that is that you tend to think of stats, and so you know the Jerry and Ron and guys had the most wins, and a lot of times they had the most talent, and and you, you try true. to think of the guys that had to work with less to get more, and those are great coaches. We'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the book you published last year. Could you tell us about that and yeah, the kind of how you decided to write and and what's in uh, late in the third? Hockey people have stories. We all tell stories. We hear stories, locker room stories, whatever. And I, because of COVID, I had a lot of time on my hands. I couldn't go out, and I'm a frustrated writer. I've been using the uh, coach's yeah. newsletter for years to get articles published, and uh, so I just sat down. And I said, look, I think I've got. I, the, the, the hurdle I had was getting over the fact, who the hell are you to write a book? You know, your, <laughs> your, your life isn't that great, uh, you know, on the big scale of things. But I thought I'd been around hockey enough over 50 years. Uh, I had a front row seat to a lot of things. I've been on a NHL staff at the Stanley Cup Finals. I've been on an Olympic staff. I've done the college hockey thing. So I called it late in the third because that's where I think I am in life. And, uh, and I, I used observations from both sides of the glass. So the first four chapters are my coaching and playing. The next four are my administration. And then I re-ran a lot of articles from uh, previously published about Al Renfrew, uh, Jack Riley, Jack Parker, Tim Taylor. And oh, there's in, some more there that on the on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. So I've, I've I self-published it. I laid it out myself. I dropped in the photos. I cropped the photos. I'm selling it out of the back of my Subaru, and uh, <laughs> I've sold uh, 800 copies and another 100, and I can break even. So I've had a great time with it. Well, I hope so. And uh, we were I was I was kind of joking with the guys that if you write a sequel, will it be five on five or three on three? Well, <laughs> whatever lasts longer, <laughs> it'll probably be five on five. <laughs> Hey, when you go back, you said 50 years. Do you, I, I don't think it's fair to ask for one memory, but 
were there a couple of memories that just really stand out, especially in your time in college hockey? You know, um, I, I had the benefit of having to think about these things and putting the book together. One of the saddest memories, but a powerful memory, is Bob Johnson had a stroke during the 91 Canada Cup. I was going through a divorce, which makes it also kind of strong in my head. And our last exhibition was in Saskatoon. And when the plane flew to Toronto, the staff went to Pittsburgh, and I went home to try to uh, patch up my marriage. And Bob had a stroke that night. I took a flight the next morning because we were going to play Sweden, and uh, we all went to the hospital to see him. And he had a yellow legal pad. He couldn't, uh, couldn't talk. And he had something to say to each coach. And the last thing that happened, I, was, I sat next to him on the plane from Saskatoon, but at the last game there was this infestation of flies in our locker room. And he said, goalie coach, goalie coach, get these flies out of here. And he waved, you know. And I didn't know if he was serious or kidding. That was my assignment, get rid of these flies. So he's in the hospital bed, and he's writing to Tim Taylor, look out for the Swedish trap. And he's writing to another guy, I'm sorry, Mikey Eves, I think, you know, I'm sorry I, he had the stroke during dinner. With, and he looked at me, and he just went like this. And I thought, he's, I thought he wanted me to leave the room. And he, and he wrote flies uh, on the pad. So that was a bittersweet moment working with Tim in the Olympics in 94, Countless tournaments on this street. I've I've been part of tournaments on Causeway Street through six decades. I played high school hockey championships. I ran ECAC and Hockey East. I was the Bruins goalie coach for Stanley Cup championships. And uh, the last time I got on the ice, we gave an award out to Kathy Winters, my old assistant uh, at the Hockey Semis this this past uh, month. So I've had a lot of history on this street that is right up there. Probably winning the high school championship and getting... A little bit of the spotlight for the first time was a big memory for me. Well, it is always great to catch up with you. I know that this city means a lot to you, and, and obviously college hockey has always been meant a lot to you. So, Joe, thank you for stopping by. Enjoy the game tonight. You know, I'm, I'm sure we're going to see better memories every time we get into this building, and tonight I think we're going to yeah, let's, some really Yeah, we all want a, a, a one-goal game with no greasy goals, you know, nothing <laughs> – Nothing controversial. I keep seeing photos of a rainbow that was taken uh, just about an hour and a half ago, and it says that's where the national championship is, right at the end of that rainbow. So, Thanks, guys. Appreciate this. All right, Joe. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, and we're gonna going to uh, preview briefly tonight's game between Denver and Minnesota State here on USCHO Spotlight, live from Boston. This is the USCHO Spotlight. People buy houses every day. No big deal to the bank. But buying my first home, that was a big deal to me. That's why I got my mortgage from DCU. They were with me every step of the way. I was able to get a great rate, and they'll service my loan for as long as I have it. Plus, they let me manage my mortgage online, anytime. My mortgage from DCU was the first step, and now I'm home. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA, NMLS number 466914. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Visit dcu.org. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Nick Bukestad. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! David Backus. And Zach Parisi were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you prevent wildfires. Dude, I've got this. I've been camping since I was five years old. But I am a camping influencer. You know what? I'll bet you five bucks. Assistant Smokey, what is the best way to put out a campfire? To put out a campfire, drown with water, stir, drown again, 
Then make sure the fire is out cold by feeling with the back of your hand. Wait, really? I'll take the five bucks. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Well, we're back for one last segment of USCHO Spotlight, live from Boston from a great place, West Side Johnny's, and it's been fun to be here all week. But uh, now, uh, Derek Schooley, Jim Connolly, it's time for us to uh, give a quick preview of the game and maybe a prediction or two. I can't believe we're on our last five minutes. Today has flown by. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you guys did an outstanding job. Kudos to you for the guests you've put together. I mean, the guests that have been here. It's the who's who of college hockey, that's It's for a sure. lot of fun. I think that, you know, we always enjoy the people we get to see when we get to put this show together. And then I think the people that get to uh, participate as a guest, I think they enjoy themselves. I mean, you know, you, we just had two of the absolute legends of college hockey between Joe Britannia and, and Red Barons on the show today. That's a, and, and you called Dave Fisher one to start. Yeah, I mean, he listen, he's he goes pretty far back in, in hockey and has great history with the national program. And don't you get the idea Red could still be out there coaching? Don't you get the idea Red could still be here talking? <laughs> <laughs> we could have stories. I was like, okay, we're in St. Louis mode. we got to get to college here, Red. And, I mean, it's it was – what a – Oh, that was, you know, no disrespect to Kevin Warren, but that, that that's the high, could have been the highlight of the day. Yes, for, for certain. Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, was supposed to be here. Yeah. He went home when the Big Ten teams lost, and we got, it was our bonus. Well, let's talk about tonight's game, Minnesota State and Denver. Both teams played so well on Thursday night and executed so well, and I think uh, as I look at this, and, and then I'll toss it to you guys, Minnesota State played like Minnesota State has, has played all season. Denver showed that they can play different types of games and right. played the defensive game they needed to against against Michigan. This, I'm, I'm just so looking forward to tonight's game, and it's really hard for me to make a choice. But, guys, go I, ahead. and. Uh, I think talking with the coaches now, I, I wrote a story about this yesterday. These are the top two offenses in the country right, going head-to-head against each other, and I expect defense to win out. Yep. I think that both of these teams understand what it means to be committed to defense, and they want to be committed to defense. They know that, yes, it's much easier, no doubt, to just go out and score a ton of goals, but they just want to play great team defense. I think it's going to come down to the fact of both teams are really good in the neutral zone. Both teams are really good uh, defending. Both teams are really good with their offense. Yep. I. I think it, whoever executes their system does their job and doesn't give up odd man rushes and, and plays their game is going to be in a better spot. The other spot. thing, too, I, I said it last night to a couple of people, we're going to see penalties tonight. Yes. I do, you know, we only had three penalties called all of Thursday. They were all on Michigan. Three teams, did, including both teams that are here, did not commit a penalty. We're going to see penalties tonight. So, so expect that. The power play, I think, will make a difference. But I think we're at the point in time we've got to give our predictions here. I, uh, they need This is such. This is so packed right now. They need this area for tables. <laughs> they do. They're like waiting to break this down. They're ready to toss this out. We're going longer. All right, we're, I'm we're gonna, going uh, over six. It's, okay, it's, so here, here's. I'm going to go first. We got on three this. more minutes here. Right. Don Lucci is in the house. Let's get him back up here. Uh, <laughs> so here, here's my thought on this. Jimmy's right. There are going to be penalties. Uh, Minnesota State has a power play clicking at 27.2 percent, and their PK is at 13 percent. So they have an advantage against also a very good 
special teams unit at Denver. And Denver's power play, they, they struggled a little bit of late. Right. And they struggled the other day against Minnesota, um, against Michigan. So we'll, we'll see they, if that they, can they're both averaging. Well. They're both the only two teams averaging over four goals a game this season. Right. Denver's giving up 2.3. Minnesota State giving up 1.3, second best defense in the country. Those are numbers that I think uh, lean toward Minnesota State, but there there is something about about the um, about the the demeanor right now of Minnesota State. They're three three times in a row, and they're back, and uh, and they just seem uh, loose and confident, and and maybe uh, it's a little more of a new experience for Denver. So those things add up to me. Uh, for an advantage for Minnesota State, and I, I think in a low-scoring one-goal game. Okay, let's do it. Let's I go do- back to Red Berenson, what he said, sometimes you get a lose to win. I think I've been that's saying exactly that all what weekend. Minnesota State is going through. I'm going to take Minnesota State 2-1. to one. Oh, now we got to put scores on this. put a score on this. Jeez. Um, what's the over-under? Five and a half. Five and a half, one hit, one dint. Okay, I still believe the replay analysis, knowing the referees tonight, are going to be two. <laughs> um, okay, so I've said all along it's Minnesota State. I'm going to go four uh, two with empty netter. Okay, Ed. Um, yeah, I said a one goal game, and I'm going to say under, so that'll bank it three to two, somewhere in that range. I I think we're going to see something like that, and um, first banner for the Mavericks. Why I'm, not? I'm excited. I'm excited. We're here. You know what? Thanks, guys. Thanks for bringing me along for this ride. It's been it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun for us too. I'm, I'm still hey, we're still going to have to do a wrap up show. We're going to drive some traffic. <laughs> this is not goodbye. This is just goodbye for a week or so, and we got to do a wrap after Naples. I can give you all the scoops. There you go. I'm your inside we'll source now. There you go. Well, that'll wrap it up here from Westside Johnny's in Boston. Uh, thanks to them for hosting us this week. Thanks also to our sponsor, DCU Digital Federal Credit Union. Visit dcu.org. For Derek Schooley, for Jim Connolly, I'm Ed Trefsker, and we'll talk to you in a week or two. (laughs) This has been the USCHO Spotlight, a production of U.S. College Hockey Online. Visit uscho.com slash podcasts to listen or subscribe. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.